I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of October 2022, uh, and it is once again that very special time of the year uh, where we will be delving into Kyle's Killer October. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what that means is Kyle uh, is going to be in charge of all the programming decisions this month. And uh, Kyle, uh, would you care to inform our dear listeners uh, what the theme is for this year's uh, Kyle's Killer October? Uh, yeah, so this theme uh, for October is Rob Zombie movies. And uh, he has been a question mark in my book for a while. I'm wondering, is he a good director? Is he not? Did I just happen to see his movies at the right time? So I wanted Trevor to kind of catch up or at least review some of these movies and take an adult look at some of his films. Uh, and for this one, I went with his third, uh, his third movie, uh, which was a quote-unquote Halloween remake. Uh, this is Halloween from 2007, or you could just call it the Rob Zombie Halloween. Um, this stars... Uh, I, dude, I gotta be honest with you. The main girl, the main Lori in this movie, I have no idea what she looks like. And I told Steph when we were watching this together, I'm like, I have no idea what this actress looks like. I may have seen her in something else. I could not tell you that what she looks like. And I think it's because the camera work in this movie... You never really get a good look at this actress in this movie, in, from my, in my opinion, because her hair is like down and she's got glasses on the whole time. Do you know what she looks like outside of this movie? Uh, no, actually, I'm I'm actually scanning her filmography right now to see if I've seen her in other things. But um, I think it's very interesting that you point out the cinematography being an issue in terms of you being able to like lock down like a fixed image of what she looks like. Because this movie does make liberal use of handheld, like mm-hmm. shaky camera work. Oh, it's like a Lars von Trier movie. <laughs> yeah, it, I was about to say a Paul Greengrass movie, yeah. like a like a Born or a United ninety three or Green Zone or what have you. Um, but yeah, it's mostly handheld work, very obscenely shaky at times. Like mm-hmm. I actually just have shaky garbage written on my notes a handful of times in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that's really funny about this gal's face. Um, and by the way, her name is a uh, Scout Taylor Compton. Mm-hmm. That's a name. No. <laughs> um, it's like Gert B. Frobe from uh, from Dead Joe Dirt. My name is Gert B. Frobe. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I noticed uh, about her face is that she has one of those. She's a she's a two face uh, yeah. to use Seinfeld parlance. Like depending on her emotional state, she transforms exactly. into two or three different people. When she's when she's scared or sad, she looks like a dead ringer for Alicia Silverstone. Mm-hmm. When she's happy, totally different. Well, I was gonna say she looks like a uh, homegirl from Thirteen. That looks like a young Robin Wright Penn. Uh, I can't think of her name. Um, for wrestler, the daughter from the wrestler, Evan Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood. Yeah. So if you even look at this actress's pictures on IMDb, the first three, I'm like, those are three different people. Like <laughs> she's just a chameleon. <laughs> I don't know what she looks like. But anyway, her, she's the main character. Uh, But we have uh, Malcolm McDowell playing Loomis. Uh, And then Brad Dourif, not crying for the first time in a movie, uh, playing the sheriff. And then I think the other important people are Danielle Harris playing one of the friends. Put a pin in that because we'll have to talk about that. And then... Our main, our main guy, uh, Tyler Maine, and there's there's some more important 
cast throughout, but those are our, our main people in this movie. Yeah, this is this is a Rob Zombie who is several years removed from House of a Thousand Corpses, which mm-hmm. you know was a much lower budget film. Uh, had kind of a, a labored struggle to getting into theaters. Like he had a lot of feuding uh, with the production studio. Uh, apparently, similar case with this film. Only oh, difference really? is this movie has at least twice the budget. It's a Halloween movie, mm-hmm. so it, it has that juice backing it. And with that juice comes, you know, the director's ability to indulge his, you know, desire to reach out to all of his favorite people mm-hmm. uh, in the film industry. Uh, so if you're, if you're like, heavily invested in the horror world or just, like, the grindhouse cinema world, um, this, this cast is, like, a, a who's who of, mm-hmm. of character actors from you know a different era of of film um and it's actually kind of neat like it is just like every other scene it's like oh i know him i know him i know her i know him too yeah and you can tell that like rob zombie probably was thrilled to to have that to have that juice to get to get a hold of those people to be able to be afforded the opportunity to work with all these people who as far as i know several of them uh, he would go on to work with multiple times. Uh, I mean, for fuck's sake, Sid Haig does show up here f- for exactly one scene. He steals that scene. <laughs> um, oh, but like half the cast from Devil's Rejects are in the first ten minutes of this movie. Yeah, and and we do get a Bill Mosley, although he's only briefly seen in the film. But what was a uh, what came out between this and uh, a House of a Thousand Corpses? Because that was the film, folks, that we reviewed last week. Devil's Rejects came out in 2005. Mm, mm. Okay, so he had had a, a intervening film where I guess he got to refine his style a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that film, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get to it this month, but that film, like, aesthetically and stylistically is more withdrawn, I guess. Like, it's scaled back from House of a Thousand Corpses, where it's mm-hmm. it's more grungy, it's more raw... It's more performance focused rather than like elaborate sets and whatnot. Um, but in terms of like your your overall appraisal of this film, and I guess just the Halloween series in general, like like what what led to you choosing this film uh, for us to review this month? Um, I had like uh, I've definitely seen the first one a lot. Uh, I enjoy watching it most most uh, Halloweens. It's actually about due for it here pretty soon. Um, I had taped, like, this one, uh, the second one, or, no, I'm sorry, the uh, Halloween 1 and 2, and then 4 and 5 off of TV, and I've just kind of watched those often, uh, so I've seen those four movies quite a bit, uh, but when this one came out, like, I'm like, oh, you hear Rob Zombie? Uh, he's doing a Halloween remake, and I'm like, oh, that sounds cool, and I actually went to the theater to see this with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, I don't know if I've told you this story before. Um, but I had just started dating this girl and we go to, it was like a Friday night showing. So it's kind of an earlier, earlier on a Friday night. So it's mostly high school students, uh, packed theater and we get a spot and we sit down and I just smell this smell. And it's like, it just smells like, like nasty, sweaty feet. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm just like, is it? Because I've just been dating this girl for a little while. I'm like, it's not her, is it? It's not the girl I'm on a date with. That's uh, really gross. But I'm like, okay. And I, I kind of look down down the row. 
and I noticed that there are uh, some underclassmen, like a few, some people that go to my school, and uh, I, I don't know them. They're just, you know, younger than me. And I'm like, oh, I know that girl. And we're sitting there watching the movie, and like, for some reason, like maybe an hour in, it hit me. I'm like, oh my gosh, there was a girl that I heard about in my school that smells like feet. And, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's her. That's the girl that smells like feet. That's who they were talking about. And... As we were leaving, uh, we were like walking out to the car. We were like, "Wow, that was pretty cool." Like, I mean, when you're, I was like 18 when this movie came out, so like, it had quite an impact. This is a pretty, some pretty brutal killings in this movie. Uh, so we're all like just walking back to the car, kind of talking about the movie, and uh, my girlfriend goes, "God, somebody smelled like feet in there." I'm like, "Yes, and I know who it was. It was this girl from my school." And I didn't tell her. I'm like, thank God it wasn't you that smelled like feet. But in my head, I was just like, oh, thank God. She smelled it too. And it definitely wasn't her. Whew. <laughs> Dodged a bullet on that one. Uh, that reminds me of uh, the day in, in my uh, middle school where I, I discovered the, the quote, peanut kid. Because we very suddenly had, like, during an assembly, an announcement that we were no longer allowed to have peanuts in the whole, in the whole of the school. Um, and then this this guy that I'd been friends with through like seventh and eighth grade, just like in casual conversation, like at his house or something, he mentioned like, "Oh yeah, I have like a serious life threatening allergy to peanuts." And I was like, "You're the peanut guy!" <laughs> and mind you, I was like thirteen <laughs> at the time, so I I was entirely tactless in doing so. But it's not like I ran around the school like saying, "He's the peanut guy! I found the peanut guy!" It's, it was just like one of those revelations where it's like. It's like, oh, you're the girl that smells like feet. Hey, you're the guy that'll die via peanuts. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, it needs to be said, folks at home, uh, we have reviewed several Halloween films uh, on the podcast over the years. Um, I believe we've reviewed all of the David Gordon Green Halloween films. However, aside from those, I think this is the first one outside of the, the new current trilogy uh, that we've dipped into um, so I have to assume like on some level, both Kyle and I have like a mutual appreciation for the franchise. I know my horror diet mostly veers towards trash, um, which often includes slasher films. Kyle, on the other hand, you have, I want to say a, a different appreciation for, for the extraordinarily broad genre that is horror. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super into slashers. It's it's not my thing really. I mean, put it this way, folks. I mentioned to Kyle that uh Terrifier 2 is getting pretty decent reviews and Kyle didn't like say anything negative about that, but the his follow-up text was that's a slasher. Period. <laughs> As in <laughs> not not exactly a selling point uh in terms of like subgenre genre classification, but the Halloween series, would you say you like them in general? Have you seen many of them? I mean, I've seen 1, 2, 4, and 5, H2O. I haven't seen Resurrection. I've seen both the David Gordon Green ones, and I will for sure be watching his newest one. Um, yeah, I think uh, the first two movies I think are really good. Uh, the, uh, did John Carpenter do the second one or just the first one? He did not. He, he uh, was involved in the production of the second one, but he refused to direct it. Okay, the second one I, I do remember really liking. Um, four and five are not good, really not good. Um, uh, I did, I unfortunately wasn't able to get any new uh, any new sounds for the soundboard this week, but I was definitely going to get Loomis in, in that fifth movie. 
uh, when Jamie ends up killing her sister. The no, no, no. But fortunately, I was not able to get that. Um, but overall, I I'd say I I like this franchise. I, I it's definitely one like if they were to revamp like. Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th. I'm like, I don't really care. But anytime you're going to revamp Halloween, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch that. I'll check it out. Um, and that first David Gordon, David Gordon Green Halloween was pretty fun. I'll, I'll stand by that one. That second one is really not good. Uh, hopefully they, they, they write the ship on this third one. Yeah, I mean, I think you and I are both just like, we're in. Where it's like, you know, mm-hmm. we already watched the first two. You kind of got to finish the trilogy just, just out of obligation. The hope is that it'll be good. I don't know that it will be. But we're going to watch it and hopefully review it. Um, as for myself, um, I mean, I, I'm attracted to slasher films, or at least I was. I, I think I had a bigger appetite for them when I was in my like college years and high school years and whatnot. But these days... Not so much. I I pay attention to news surrounding these movies uh, very intently, but I very seldom actually go to the trouble to watch any of them. But um, Halloween is, is a weird fucking franchise, man. It has had some serious ups and downs. Uh, I agree with you that 1 and 2 uh, are both very good. Um, not everybody likes 2. I actually quite like it. Um, 3 is you know where things try to do something entirely different i think it's a very very solid how like holiday halloween film uh even if it doesn't have michael myers and whatnot um four actually a lot of people like um a lot of people thought that that was kind of like on the level with two um five and six though are where we get into straight trash um six is the one that has that infamous producer's cut but five a lot of people think is like in, in totally incompetent production that's just a total fucking shit show um, and then H2O, uh, H2O, I remember actually being on the hype train for. I remember the advertising for that very well. Um, it came out in the wake of Scream, so it was only natural that we'd try to take another stab haha, at Halloween. And for the most part, I think they did it pretty well. Resurrection, again, we're back to shit show territory. Um, and in fact, that, that sent the franchise into hibernation uh, for several years. I think that was like 2002. Um, so this Halloween 2007, directed by Rob Zombie, would be the only Halloween film made after like a five-year gap. Um, also, it needs to be said, very important, um, a lot of these massive horror franchises have like shepherds. They have like a singular individual or something uh, that's like a guiding hand uh, for the franchise. In its earliest years, Wes Craven was kind of that for Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, but Halloween had a uh, Mustafa Akkad, uh, who was a producer, um, and of course John Carpenter bared quite a lot of influence as well. But um, Mustafa Akkad was actually killed in like a terrorist attack or something. Um, so I think I think this was the first movie made um, under the supervision of his son uh, due to his untimely passing. Um, and it, my understanding was Malik Akkad, his son, um, was really really interested in trying new things with the franchise um which you know is pretty difficult to do when you have this many fucking films uh, attached to a singular franchise but um as far as i understand recruiting rob zombie uh, to direct a halloween film was done with the express intent of you know getting the youth uh, audience involved um and also as i said uh trying to get uh, a very different perspective on the story um and what results is 
probably like almost a 50-50 split between new like entirely new prequel material uh, kind of similar to like a Star Wars prequel setup for Darth Vader um, and then a straight up like slavish remake of the original uh, with a few added twists towards the end um, but uh, as far as backstory goes um, I think that's all I had to offer Kyle uh, did you want to get into it yeah we can go ahead and talk about it uh, so the plot of this movie is the first movie okay uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we uh, we start here with a Loomis quote. I didn't write it down, but did you? I did. Yeah, I figured I you would. <laughs> yeah, hey, would you like me to read it back? Please, go ahead. The darkest souls are not those which choose to exist within the hell of the abyss, but those which choose to break free from the abyss and move silently among us. Sam Loomis. <laughs> yeah. That was a pretty decent. That was a pretty Mal- decent Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. Mike. Michael. Not too bad. Michael. <laughs> Just every other scene in this movie is Michael. <laughs> uh, he looks like a fake person in this movie. Uh, he looks he like does. I don't know what it is. I don't think he he. I don't think they have any weird makeup on him. He just looks like he has weird makeup on him. I think uh, it's a combination of just his his older leathery skin and he may he may actually have too much makeup on like he doesn't have old age makeup but just like your basic yeah. like stage makeup i think he's a little pink yeah. uh, he's a little shiny uh and a combination of his uh finely manicured beard and his uh borderline mm-hmm. frosted tips hairdo it, he does look like a fake person he looks like a creative character from a video game or something <laughs> yeah he looks like a goddamn cyborg uh we get, yeah, so we get it's like the seventies. We get Kiss's "God of Thunder," uh, which is a pretty, it's a good banger. It's a pretty good song, uh, and we get uh, yeah, the way this movie's shot, uh, we get a lot of close ups and like really, I I don't know how would you describe it, like very uh, not focused close up shots to where you're like, what the fuck is even happening in this scene? Uh, but it's a young kid and he's got a rat and a little pocket knife. You can put two and two together. Uh, moving forward and then we get what is supposed to be um a tense domestic dispute happening in the kitchen however it is this stepfather character is being played by william forsyth and i still think this is hilarious i think this is comedy gold is him in this movie Uh, he is very, very funny, very much unintentionally. So yes, uh, I kind of have a. I don't know what this says about me, but like the similar sequences in Raging Bull also elicit laughs from me for mm. the, the most wrong of reasons. Um, but yeah, I think it's just his ability to very skillfully, very eloquently s- string together insults. Um. And it, it it's comical to me. It's meant to be intense and like unsettling, but it's like coming from him, and and just it, it comes across funny. as like a I don't know like an SNL skit version of of like a domestic abuse scenario or something. It's it's oddly heightened, and he has some zingers in here that's like I'm sorry. I know that's supposed Oof. to be really awful, but that's pretty fucking funny. Like I could I'm not quick enough to just come up with that shit. <laughs> I'll go fuck the shit out of you. But it's also the accent that he's throwing on this too. But uh, yeah, we got. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was just about to say the thing with William Forsyth, and I want to say that this 
Rob Zombie is very much guilty of this across virtually his entire filmography is that he he grabs these character actors that he probably has a special appreciation for them and their careers and whatnot um, and then he gives them all the slack in the world uh, to just like go off the cuff and just make a fucking spectacle of themselves and William Forsythe is one of those guys that you do not want to let him off the chain because he will he will just go ape shit and and cause oh, a he is, mess. <laughs> he is doing a handstand twerk in this fucking scene. <laughs> I mean, no fucking joke, man. And also, if memory serves, Devil's Rejects kind of similar. Like he is playing like an extraordinarily heightened and and big like grand villain in that. Like he he's chewing all the scenery. I've seen him in plenty of like '80s action films, and like I think The Substitute and uh, uh, Out for Justice, one of the better Steven Seagal films. Richie Madano, he he plays a very over the top villain in that. Uh, oddly enough, one of my favorite performances of his is a uh, Deuce Bigelow, uh, male Oh Gigolo. yeah, he's good in that. He's, great <laughs> he's in very that. good in that. He's very funny, and also like I think they they focused his performance just right. But I, I have most certainly seen him go way over the top and just like way out of bounds with his performances. Yeah, no, that that Deuce Bigelow male gigolo, I'll defend. It's it it suffers from Sandler syndrome, where the main character is the draw, but the main character is not funny, and everybody else in the movie is basically holding it up and making a funny movie. Um, but yeah, so we've got a wee little baby bow. Uh, we've got Sherry Moon Zombie, obviously. Uh, playing the mother Uh, and this is her abusive boyfriend, stepfather, whatever Um, but we've got the the family unit here, we got little Michael Uh, he's the kid upstairs with a mask on killing a rat and then we've got the daughter Judith Um, so yeah, so he's just he's just taking his morning out on this poor woman, baby's crying and then the daughter comes down to get some cereal and this fucking creep he's like kind of flirting with her a little bit and he... (laughs) They they have a little like a little back and forth, and she leaves, and he's just like, man, that daughter of yours got an ass on her. She's like, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> like, dude, how yeah, did you think this was gonna go for well? <laughs> you you need to understand, Kyle and I are both laughing at this, but you have to. The words being spoken are terrible, but it's yes. the delivery. You absolutely oh. have to see it to know why we're chuckling at this at this awful dialogue, <laughs> because yeah. the man is talented, and I and the man yeah. is proven to be very very funny. I don't know if this is intended to be funny, but I did actually get a couple of chuckles out of those. He uh, it, pretty much anybody that was on Boardwalk Empire knocked it out of the park. Uh, he has just like a two episode arc really, and he's. He has one of my favorite moments in the mo- in that in that series. Uh, no, he he is actually really great. But yeah, uh, I just wanted to go. Th- I wanted to go through this scene step by step because they end up yelling at each other, and he just just throws everything off the kitchen table. Baby's crying, and he's like, "Clean it up!" And she's like, "I can't do this anymore." I'm like, "This was the breaking point. <laughs> this seems like this has been good. <laughs> ratcheting up for so long. Like, really, really, this dude is not good." Uh, but yeah. It, Michael comes down and we get introduced to him. He's wearing his mask. Says his rat's dead. He flushes it down the toilet. That's a lie. He killed it. Um, yeah, and I, we see the stepdad's kind of a bully to him as well. Uh, just getting a, getting a good taste of his home life right now. Yeah, uh, he he calls him some names that are not okay for parents to call their children uh, at this nope. early in age, especially. Um, but 
uh, incredibly obscene sequence. Uh, it is worth noting uh, William Forsythe's character, Ronnie. Uh, he is the boyfriend. Um, boyfriend Michael okay. Myers' biological father has passed away. Um, Obviously. Yeah. And he also has a cast on his hand. So I guess the idea is he's out of work because he's on like workman's comp or something. Um, so mm-hmm. he's just like lazing around the house while mom has to pay the bills, essentially. Um, and yeah, he actually like, I think when he knocks all the shit off the table, like Sherry Moon like bops him or something and like fucks up his hand even worse. But um, also like, okay, I, I guess this is the time to toss this out there. Um, I noticed a thing with this movie upon this viewing. I have seen this movie. I think this is like my third time seeing it now. Um, I, I noticed the thing about this movie that I feel like the question or or the phrase like, oh man, dude, man, that's fucked up. It was like the guiding principle behind every sequence in this movie. It was like yeah. all the things we need, all the things that Rob Zombie wanted to put in this movie, he wanted to make sure the viewer would ask themselves like, like man, that is fucked up. <laughs> because like literally every scene where something bad happens is dialed up to 11 in such a way that it's like if you really dissect all the angles of the bad thing that just happened it's like wow that's not just that's not just mean or or cruel or violent it's like wow that's that's just fucked up um now i want to say that this domestic abuse situation here is very much meant to be that and also apparently uh one of those uh dude that's fucked up sequences that did not end up in the film um, was apparently Michael was supposed to be jerking it to the dead mouse or something um, that was in the script. So Trevor, so yeah. I, I actually had uh, the uh, DVD of this, of this, uh, of this movie with extended scenes and bloopers that I have all watched. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't remember him jerking off as being one of the deleted scenes. I believe you when you say that it's a deleted scene. <laughs> I completely believe that. But there is a deleted scene uh, later in the movie at the asylum, which I'll talk about when we get introduced to it. Yeah. But yes, yeah. I, there... I know what you're talking about. Oh, you know which one I'm talking about? Okay. I uh, know what you're talking about. And actually, to, just to clarify, uh, because this is actually a really important point. Um, it, and this is a, a curious case of a of multiple versions of a movie existing and the non-theatrical cut actually being the one that most people are familiar with. Um, Because uh, I actually had to pay actual money uh, to watch this film most recently. I had to rent this because for whatever the fuck reason, it's not available on any streaming service I have right now. Uh, That includes Shudder, by the way. I've got a trial of that running right now. Um, The theatrical cut of this film differs somewhat uh from the director's cut which is what kyle was talking about and the director's cut oddly enough i don't know what kind of strings uh rob zombie had to pull is the one that i believe is the default on most like dvds or blu-rays you will find of this movie uh so far like far and wide is probably probably the version of the film most people have seen however my understanding is it's probably the inferior cut of the movie um, because it is much longer, um, and in terms of like uh, like slasher movie fans and whatnot, uh, the director's cut actually offers no additional footage in terms of like kills or, or violence or gore or anything. All of the additions made in the director's cut are just extraneous 
footage of people mulling around um, and additional dialogue and then one really really awful sequence that uh, ma- makes the movie uh, really like cruel uh, to a to an extreme uh, that the theatrical cut is not um, so we'll, we'll get there when we get there but um, just to like make it known I have seen uh, both cuts of the film uh, but ah. my most recent viewing was the theatrical okay. uh, which omits the asylum sequence that Kyle was referring to there um, as far as I know him jerking off to the dead mouse uh, was never filmed I think it was just in the script Okay, um, but it was something that Rob Zombie wanted to put in the movie yeah, I mean that kid's wires would be oh, really crossed. Uh, that's uh, that's 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 a bit too much. Um, well, yeah, and then we get him uh, we get him going to school, and obviously, you know, bullying was in full swing in the seventies. It was when well, we were in high, middle school and high school. It, bullying was still around quite a bit, but um, bullying was in full swing back then. Uh, just a really small detail that I thought was odd. Um, so, Rob Zombie has a thing about the seventies. Um, mm-hmm. It feels it feels like virtually all of his films take place in that era, even if they actually don't. It's just the it's just the look and the feel that he tends to go for. In this movie, especially the soundtrack, um, there's a lot of licensed music in this film that is very much meant to put you in in a '70s mindset. What's odd about the movie is that uh, we do get a 15 years later at one point. Um, but at, at no point is a is an actual year disclosed. Like we never actually put a hat on what year these events are taking place. Um, I will note that there are cell phones um, mm-hmm. in in the present day events of the film. But the, this prologue sequence, this extended prologue, um, there's never there's never actually a date uh, featured on screen. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Uh, and also the the the, the music, the, the songs utilized in the present day material, are almost identical in terms of vibe to the prologue material. It's very it's very odd. I do remember him in an interview saying like, the '70s were his favorite decade. He's like, I love the music from that decade. I love the the fashion. I love the movies. So he really does have a boner for the '70s. It's not. It's he's made it well known that that is he likes that aesthetic. Um, uh, we go to a school, and he's got a bully. It's that kid from Spy Kids, Daryl something. I don't know. So Dar- you say Spy Kids. I say World's Greatest Dad. Oh, fuck. You're absolutely right. I should stop <laughs> saying Spy Kids. You're right. World's Greatest Dad, or the, the other title, World's Shittiest Kid. <laughs> That's the other title to that movie. Um, great movie. Great movie. Um, great. <laughs> good, good Bobcat movie. Um, yeah, so he's talking about... Uh, picking on some other kid and then poor michael he's just coming out the stall or whatever and this kid's like oh i'm gonna take my domestic uh, violence at home and place it towards you Uh, and they get into it and then who the fuck is this dude that comes in because he also looks like a fake person okay so this one is you got to be careful because that this is that that's the man's face we're talking about so this is richard lynch uh, Richard Lynch plays the principal in this film. He he busts in to break up the bullying session that's going on in the boys' bathroom. Um, and Richard Lynch uh, is kind of a he's a horror slash action uh, character actor. Uh, he was in um, was it Invasion USA, uh, the Chuck Norris film, the Canon film. Uh, he was in uh, I think it was like Puppet Master Three. 
Uh, it's the one where the puppet master. It's the prequel where the puppet master makes the the puppets and they fight like Nazis or whatever. Um, I I believe he suffered like burns mm. um, on a, a large portion of his body. Okay, and that's that's where his his particular visage comes from. He's he often plays villains uh, and like heavies in movies and whatnot. Uh, he's he's fun. I, I think he was an alligator too. Also, I've I've always kind of liked him, but he's never been a leading man type. But he's like a we couldn't afford Rutger Hauer, so we got Richard Lynch kind of guy. Yeah, Rutger Hauer <laughs> would have been good. A good that would have been a fun principal to have. Just come in there real quick. That would have been nice. Giant fucking Dutchman, <laughs> Dutch principal just busts in, <laughs> starts like those, talking about tears. He, well, that's the thing. So if he had come in, Michael wouldn't have said. Fuck you to the principal. What the shit? This dog has eaten two... Jeez, this is a nine, or a nine and a half pound Havanese. She's eaten enough food that the big dog normally eats. She's eaten two spoon, two big things of food and she's smacking the bowl around. <laughs> she's still hungry. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Go lay down. This is ridiculous. Oh. You're going to give yourself a tummy ache. Settle it's down. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no, if Rucker Howard had come in, he wouldn't have been, you know, saying, fuck you. But um, what about this little kid playing young Michael? Ah, I recognized him from, uh, I think he's the kid from Hancock uh, that he takes up into the stratosphere. It's possible. Uh, and he shits his pants. Uh, that wasn't my question, uh, but thank you for uh, pointing that out. <laughs> How about him as an actor? Because I don't really like this kid at all in this movie. I think his uh I don't know how extensive his uh his career was. Uh his name is a hard one for an American tongue to pronounce. Uh Dig Ferch. Sure. Uh I think he was hired for his look. Um because he does have a very distinct look. Mm-hmm. I mean he does have those those clear eyes that are uh, very emotive um but also very difficult to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and also his his overall appearance, like he's a little soft, but also bears an intensity to him. He has a wonderful look for camera, um, but as an actor, I, I I didn't see anything special about him or anything. And and as far as I know, I've seen him in exactly two movies that, as far as I know, were like two years apart, maybe. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know if he had much of a career as an actor. But yeah, I wasn't especially impressed with him. But I will say that the camera does like him like mm-hmm. like he does play very well uh, on film um i do need to mention that that kid that's bullying michael basically says like oh i hear they had to pump the cum out of your sister last weekend which is always a great way to start bullying somebody um but then he also shows him a picture of his mom i guess he snipped he uh, he snapped out of a, a a phone book a phone book is something that we used to have in this country it had all the numbers of the people that wanted to be listed in businesses uh, in the Yellow Pages uh, listeners out there under the age of, what, 25? I think that probably they don't know what a phone book is at that age. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we have a meeting with the principal. Mom comes in. She's like, you don't know how to run a fucking school. And this guy doesn't because, seriously, uh, these this fucking – you got – in one scene, we've got two kids with awful home lives just in this one spot. Like, you need to be keeping an eye on these kids. They're troublemakers. Um, but he's just like, listen, you got to come in. Oh, by the way, uh, there's this uh, child psychologist that's here, Dr. Loomis. Um, excuse me. The aging that they do on Malcolm McDowell, it doesn't exist. Like, he looks the exact same, <laughs> just with a little bit longer hair. So, uh Kyle is absolutely right. Um, they try to give him the Christian Bale, Bruce Wayne uh, 
effect where it's like let's give him floppy hair and that'll that'll convince the viewers that he looks younger yeah. <laughs> like, like that's all they did to christian bale in batman begins they just gave him a floppy shitty hairdo yeah. and they said that's young bruce wayne that this this with the slick to the side hair this is old bruce wayne that 40 year old dude playing batman no 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 he's worried he's thinking about dropping out of yale right now he's only 20 or 21 come on man uh, but yeah, so <laughs> I do like that this bomb that they drop on her, she's almost not going to put up with it. It's like, listen, your kid's fucked up. We pulled this out of his backpack earlier, and he just pulls out a full dead cat. And I'm like, that's pretty alarming. And she's like, yeah, so what? <laughs> she tries to shoulder shrug it off. Like, yeah, big deal. Dead cat. And like, yeah, but also he's got all these pictures of dead animals. And... She's like, did he do this? Like, we don't know. He probably might have, but there could be some very serious. Pro- have you ever heard of a serial killer? Your son might become might be becoming a serial killer because these are all the signs of a serial killer. Yeah, I'm I'm curious how well this movie plays to contemporary audiences. Um, what with the serial killer boom that we're all in the midst of, um, because the first half of this movie is just all that shit that all the kids are gobbling up these days um this is like this is like extreme textbook like serial killer like or sociopath behavior basically Mm. um yeah i like an occasional true crime thing especially if we get into like the court case about it that i find interesting but now we're just doing movies they just made a fucking jeffrey dahmer movie for netflix like who needed that we don't need that that's fucking gross stupid yeah it's been controversial too because that wasn't very long ago, man. That was like in our lifetimes, <laughs> at least within mine. What you should do is read about the guy who killed him in prison. That's a much better story. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Mike knows that the, the it's up. The gig is up, and uh, he he runs to his locker, and he I guess they're not going to talk to him. He just leaves school for the day. Like he's never talked to by his mom. He doesn't go home with his mom. Um, but he uh, basically stalks this uh, bully kid who's just being a shit shithead to other kids on his way out. Um, so this is an interesting scene. Uh, so my wife was watching this with me, and she doesn't do these movies very well. So she basically just had her like hand above her eyes like the whole time like we were watching, as she did with Hereditary. Um, but this scene is this scene in the woods where he beats this kid. It's pretty. It's pretty brutal. And not so much the violence that showed on screen, but this kid's performance really sells it, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and that that uh, r- brings to the fore that this thing that I, I was talking to Kyle about before the mics heated up was that Rob Zombie has a like a obsession or fixation on cruelty. Um, it's a thing that appears in a lot of his movies, where it's not it's not like. See, for me, like, part of the appeal about slasher movies, at least, like, predominantly, like, 80s slasher movies and whatnot, is that they're largely harmless, honestly. Like, like the, the kill sequences are not long and drawn out. It's just kind of like Jason pops out, he, he slams an axe into somebody, or he does some wily e. Coyote shit to somebody, to the point that it's so violent and over the top that it's, it, it goes full circle and becomes hilarious instead mm. of horrifying. He doesn't want to kill you. He has to kill you. And he has exactly. to get through it's this. Compulsion, yeah. You know? I have to get through you to get to the next person. This is how you, like like you said, Devil Rejects. It's just mean, man. It's just mean. 
This is that, that's mean, man. That's, that's mean. just mean, man. I was gonna try to get that for the soundboard, but I didn't have time. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, folks at home, uh, payback. Uh, mm. James Coburn and payback. Excellent movie. Um, but yeah, he he beats this kid with a stick. And honestly, as I'm watching it, I'm like, yes, uh, I've you know kind of feel bad for this kid. You know, he's just a poor kid, like just being mean to another kid. But he just picked the wrong one. But also, he was really really mean to him in the bathroom. So at the same time, I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah, that one yeah, coming. He, he he called him the capital F word. He did call him shit pants, which as far as like mean nicknames to call somebody in a bathroom, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah that, that's well, a, that's a good one. It's not very creative, but it's very effective. And also, right before this, they do show him steal another kid's beanie and spit in it. Yeah, that's so it, basically they're driving home the point that this kid is an asshole through and through. And he also talks shit about his sister, which is you know it's one thing, but he talks shit about his mom now. It's very important. He has a good relationship with his mom. She's, for the most part, a very good mother, like, at least on screen. And uh, she's very nice to him. She's not mean or anything. So when, you know, he crossed the line there, basically. But, yeah, he beats this kid to death with a stick in the woods and just leaves him there. So filmmaking uh, thing that I'd like to point out, because this is a thing that Kyle pointed out last week that is probably going to carry us through the entire month, is, like, is Rob Zombie a good filmmaker? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm leaning towards yes, but he's a very specialized tool. Um, so not everything he does is going to is going to be correct or like effective, um, but it is going to be creative. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out was um, when Michael hops off his chair and uh, retrieves his clown mask uh, to go ambush uh, the world's greatest dad kid in the woods. Um, when he is doing that and we're cru- we're cross-cutting back and forth between him him and the kid leaving the school uh, separate from each other um they play the john carpenter halloween theme i think for the first time in the movie did you find that to be appropriate because personally i did not i was <laughs> like oh we're doing this now okay um i didn't really I didn't really pick up on that necessarily. Um, I do pick. I did notice it throughout the film, like when it pops up. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't uh, notice it here. And I think my my I was already tuned in to expect it at some point. So I didn't really notice when it kicked in initially. Well, I guess what I guess the intention uh, in this film is that the the music cue is meant to convey to us the viewer that this is the the formation. Of, of the shape of, of the Michael Myers as a killer uh, character. Or it's like, this is the moment that crystallized his his march towards that destiny. I get that, but it feels weird to me. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel earned. It feels like it's done out of obligation almost, where it's done because it's expected. And remember, this is 2007. This is before we were being bombarded with, like, legacy sequels and stuff, where... There's a lot of shitty sequels being like churned out these days that have a slavish attention to detail for like paying reverence and homage uh, to that which came before, and it's done in such a scattershot fashion to the point that's like, I think the producers are keenly aware that all the super fans out there will pop uh, for little subtle references here and there, but they have no fucking clue which of those references are actually important and actually impactful. Such that they just throw everything they got into things these days and just, like, hope for the best. Uh, but, yeah, this use of the theme music, I'm glad it's in the movie. 
it, it's always welcome in a Halloween film, but it felt really weird to me. Um, I just wanted to point that out. But Kyle's absolutely right. From a performance standpoint, uh, this this uh, kill is very well executed. Um, the, the, the begging and the pleading and even like the choking on his own blood and stuff is thoroughly convincing and very uncomfortable to watch. But that again, that's where my personal taste, and we both have very yeah. different tastes, Kyle and I, in terms of our horror entertainment. That's where my personal tastes start to get in the way of my enjoyment of this film, mm. um, because I'm not here for that. I'm not here to to watch like extremely graphic and realistic, like torturous kill sequences. I'm here to just like watch people's like fake heads explode in microwaves and stuff that's, that's the kind of horror movies i'm into like splatter splatter gore you know splatter horror rather than like torture porn kind of stuff i guess and, and, and let's be clear this isn't this isn't necessarily this is not torture porn but it is getting no. close it's 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 getting a little it's getting close like it's it's pretty dark the kills in this movie are, yeah. they're very very dark and one thing that i i am probably gonna want to key in on every now and again is the character the characterization of michael myers in this um because we did mention jason Voorhees and how he's just a force of nature where it's like there's there's no like there's very little malice in what jason Voorhees does he just kind of does what he does he's a shark you know he's got to eat he's got to kill whereas in this in this film specifically the, this michael myers i don't know his his intentions are difficult to read but unlike other iterations of the same character, he does seem to carry some sort of baggage into his handiwork um, that isn't apparent in other Halloween films. So I'll, I'll point that out as we go along. But um, yeah, really, really cruel, really not super graphic sequence. We don't actually see much, Mm-mm. but really good sound effects and very intense. Very, very, very intense. Very much left up to the imagination. I think it's pretty effective here. Um, yeah. Yeah, but then uh, Michael goes home, and we get Michael with Ronnie, and he is—he's just, you know, sitting there drinking. Um, he's watching a movie. What movie is he watching in the living room? He is watching *The Thing from Another World*. Thought so. Uh, he's watching *A Thing from Another World*, and he's just like, you know, teasing him about getting in trouble at school. Uh, Judith. Uh, supposed to take Michael trick-or-treating while their mom goes to work. Uh, instead, her boyfriend comes over, who is disgusting. Uh, this this actress playing uh, Judith is she's very pretty, like she's a pretty uh, a pretty young girl. Uh, and this dude that she is with, he looks like a used piece of toilet paper. Like that's the best way I could describe him. He looks like all the dudes from Detroit Rock City <laughs> merged into one guy. <laughs> Very, very apt description. He he's greasy, and he's he's like one of those guys that he has no tone whatsoever. And in terms of like body hair, he probably has like like five chest hairs directly in the center of his sternum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, a really important thing. Uh, when mom is on her way out to go to work uh, to her job uh, stripping, uh, she uh, tells Michael uh, to. Tomorrow things are going to change around here, so tonight I suggest you live it up. And there's at least one more line in here, uh, like putting a hat on this idea that this is the turning point, that this is the night where maybe things could have gotten better, 
but instead they get a whole lot worse but i, d- I did like that that's a filmmaking thing that i kind of like where it's like it's not especially like subtle or anything but it, it does show an attention to detail um <laughs> i like i liked when uh, she's uh arguing with ronnie and again william forsyth is supposed to be vile and cruel and awful in this film but i can't help but laugh every time he opens his mouth uh, he says, "Bitch, if you don't think I'm making a mental list of all your fucking bullshit, it's pretty great. <laughs> it's um, pretty great." I do like this. the The daughter says something. You mean that fat hunk of shit on the on the uh, chair in there? And he just <laughs> quietly gives her the finger. It's pretty great. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's the funniest domestic violence or the funniest domestic uh, violence you'll see in a movie. Um, but yeah, so uh, mom. Mom is stripping, and we can't get through a movie with uh, Sherry Moon Zombie without seeing some of her flesh. Uh, we can't not. You gotta have it. Um, yeah, she's our living dead girl, and she's uh, dancing to, was it Love Hurts? Yes, by Barry Manilow, I do believe. Um, yeah, she's dancing to that. And then we get Judith with her boyfriend. They just got having sex, which is disgusting. Uh, you. you can see this dude with his shirt off and his little boxers. It's just, ugh. Um, and uh, they're just sitting there talking, and he's like, "I got a surprise for you." And he pulls out a William Shatner mask. Um, <laughs> it's the classic Michael Myers mask, and he tries to, you know, scare her. Now um, he's just like, hey, "I'm gonna go downstairs, and uh, I'm gonna, ha- I'm gonna make a sandwich." This little, this little shit. Um, uh, and I think we get a shot of, uh, we get a shot of Michael just sitting at the table, uh, eating candy corn and circus peanuts and i'm sitting there i'm watching him i'm like i'd kill ronnie too like that's awful halloween candy yeah no both of those make me want to puke in my mouth right now Uh, circus peanuts especially man i i can handle candy corn like in small doses those will work that'll tide me over one or two actual good candy yeah but circus peanuts in large quantities that you're gonna have a bad night um by the way uh important uh white zombie is on the TV. Ah! <laughs> nice. It's a Bea Lugosi film. Um, but yeah, Mike is eating candy in the kitchen. We get uh, the close-ups. Uh, the, Kyle had mentioned that about the cinematography in this film. It is littered with extreme close-ups of portions of people's faces and out-of-focus shots of people's hands maybe doing things. Cinematography has a vibe to it. It does contribute to the overall aesthetic of the film, but it's not especially pleasant to look at. Uh, it, it's it's borderline confusing at times, and I did find myself objecting to, to some of the shot ideas in this film. I I, did, I will point out there is a, a nifty Dutch angle uh, as Michael is masking up and heading back into the house during the Love Hurts montage, which shows that Rob Zombie has indeed seen a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I think... Um... I have a theory of why he went with this kind of cinematography, and I think it's the reason why uh, Lars von Trier has done this with uh, several of his movies, is I think it adds a layer of frustration for the viewer. Like, you're not only being kind of annoyed by what's happening in the film, but you're also annoyed by it. And if you don't have a, if you're not keen to it, if you're not, it's not something that you've noticed that bothers you, you won't notice it. Like, I was watching the Moulin Rouge with uh, with Steph, and I'm like, this movie is driving me nuts. And she's like, why? I'm like, 
the editing. How is this not driving you nuts? She's like, oh, I didn't even notice that. I'm like, really? Because I'm about to throw up because this is driving me insane. But I think it just, I think it adds another layer to the film, like the, the, the film watching experience just to frustrate you a little bit more, make you a little uneasy, and you might not realize that's what's bothering you. But And it can be effective, but... I, I agree with you. I, I think you're on to something there, especially in Von Trier's case. That's most certainly the case. In Rob Zombie's case, I want to say it's it's a little voyeuristic. Like it, You're meant to be a little bit of a fly on the wall, uh, like like almost like a, a participant like just by proxy kind of uh in the in the events that are unfolding where it's like you see this bad thing about to happen and there's nothing you can do about it um but struggle to watch it i guess mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah it, it's a, it's a curious element of the production that um i i don't strongly object to it it's just there's a few instances here and there where it's like a little bit of clarity would have come in hand there especially and this is a personal thing is um geography um, as, as somebody who watches a lot of action films in particular, um, who's kind of accustomed to like the camera pulled back to give you a lay of the land so you can understand understand the resources available to all the, the characters involved in the, the choreography of things to come. Um, there's a lot of sequences, especially like the quote chase sequences in this film where it's like, I have no fucking clue how this house is structured. Like, sure. I have no idea what angles are safe and which ones aren't because I've never really been given a good, I don't know, establishing shot or anything to show me the layout of the house. But um, the music turns sinister as uh, Mike just out of nowhere uh, decides uh, to get up from his candy uh, and uh, root around in the kitchen for a big old knife and some duct tape. Duct tape! Um, and he. <laughs> And uh, he very casually uh, walks over to Ronnie, who is passed out on the couch like you do, um, and he tapes him to his chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a moment, uh, before anything else happens, uh, we see Michael Myers wearing his clown mask. Uh, he hears some kids, like some trick-or-treaters outside. And there's actually, like, again, there's some some of that filmmaking shit going on here because we get to see Mike look out the window and just see other kids, like, having good, Lives. good time. Lives? Like, kids... <laughs> Yeah, have actual lives, have actual childhoods. It's like, oh, what could have been? For oh, what could have been? <laughs> he was never <laughs> given the chance. Yeah, and he he just straight up slits Ronnie's throat. Um, but I'm not. I don't. I don't advocate for murder, Trevor. But this guy fucking had it coming. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. He he had it coming. I, yeah, he's a total piece of shit. Uh, by the way, the the music turns into like piano uh, with industrial. Uh, droning. There's a lot of droning uh, in this film, uh, and uh, the the score for this film is not done by John Carpenter like the most recent Halloween films have been. Uh, it's done by Tyler Bates, uh, who, as far as I know, he's done a few like video game scores. He's a working composer; like he pops up in a lot of places. But I want to say he's like uh, James Gunn's uh, go-to guy these days. Hmm. He does good work. Um, and I don't hate the score. It's just it's radically different um, from you know the traditional John Carpenter score for a Halloween film. Um, yeah, it, it's a little different. Um, so yeah, we get this uh, gross ass boyfriend making a sandwich. He just walks right past de- dead Ronnie, uh, and get the the close up on him again. This guy is just repulsive. Uh, and Mike <laughs> Mike gets a baseball bat, a nice metal bat, and just fucking clocks him in the head. Uh, this is kind of 
kind of sinister too because this guy's like twitching on the ground. It's like, ugh, he's, he's selling it pretty well. I think he might give him a couple more. Does he give him a couple more womps on the head there? Well, that's where I need to ask this question. I am probably going to ask this almost every time Michael Myers kills somebody in this movie uh-huh. because characterization. Um, so when he killed uh, the bully in the woods, mm-hmm. uh, he was like screaming intensely and like really emotionally invested in what he was doing. He was seeking oh. vengeance. And when he killed Ronnie, he taped his ass eyed. up. De- dead-eyed nothing no response when he kills this guy who he probably just met tonight this guy who's banging his, his sister mm-hmm. he is screaming at the top of his lungs and panting and like he's like whipped up into a frenzy like clobbering this guy on the mm. floor so it's like I, i'm not quite sure what the intent is here it seems like he like when he killed ronnie probably the most awful element in his life right now he nothing when he killed the bully stirred up into a frenzy when he killed a total fucking stranger just now screaming at the top of his lungs whipped up into an emotional frenzy i'm i'm not sure what what it's all supposed to mean but it was unusual to me really i didn't didn't give it a second thought Uh, i thought you were going to say that uh well when you think of michael myers michael myers doesn't even talk you very seldom even hear him breathing depending on which movie it's going to be yeah that it's that was a, him like michael myers going like that's not a thing he does well he, this kid has to step it up because he's fucking like 10 and he weighs like 80 pounds <laughs> so he has to like he has to harness that whatever 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 bruce lee has to do those noises he makes to hit people harder uh he has to do that <laughs> uh <laughs> he has to put a, a key eye behind yeah. his uh his bat swings yeah yeah, because if he's bludgeoning somebody to death, he's got to get the swings in there. See, with Ronnie, he can't take that chance. The guys that he bludgeons to death are guys that he could take them. He's, he's got this. Ronnie, it's like, I cannot make a mistake. I can't even for a second because he'll beat the shit out of me if I mess up. So, um, But yeah, he, he, he beats the shit out of this dude, kills him. Uh, and then, be, because this is, how the, this is how Michael Myers, this is his origin story. Like, this is how he starts in the original movie, is we get that voyeur shot of him going around the house, and he kills his naked sister with a knife. And we do that in this movie as well. A little, uh, little darker in this one, because we get... A little again, weirder, if you ask me. Yeah, because he's uh, giving her little touches. He's like, she's like listening to Blue Oyster Cult or something. Don't and fear the Reaper. I think that was the only. I think that was in the original too. I think there. I think so too. Yeah, um, yeah. He's just like giving her little tickles, and she's like, "Michael, what the fuck is wrong with you?" And she's like, "What's wrong? What's wrong with you? What are you doing?" And he just he stabs he he stabs her in the stomach, uh, and. Uh, did you see the little sticker she had above her bed when she's like banging her boyfriend? Yeah, it's like use protection or something. It's like use protection. My parents didn't, uh, <laughs> which is yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, she comes out of the room like trying to hold the blood in, which is not gonna work. Uh, it's dead blood's coming out. Um, and I think she ends up. I think he slashes the back of her legs to get her to, to fall down. It's unclear. Uh, it's all shot with her in front of the camera and him behind her. So we hear sound effects. We see him swinging the knife, but we don't really know precisely what's going on. Um, which actually is it's a nice show of restraint on the part of Rob Zombie. This, uh, similar to House of a Thousand Corpses, which does have its explicit moments for sure. Um, but it's very seldom like the actual act of the violence itself. It's more the aftermath. This movie 
is violent for sure, but it's not like super over the top like blood explosion gore or anything. It's it's mostly it's mostly tasteful and, and implied. The the major difference is what I pointed out earlier, which happens here again. Uh, we get to watch this poor girl get snot coming out her nose and like mm-hmm. crawl on her hands on her like on the floor for like three minutes as this this yeah. little boy killer wearing by the way an oversized William Shatner mask which yeah. looks completely ridiculous yeah, yeah. I'm sorry it, lo- it looks really fucking stupid yeah um, but yeah the, the cruelty uh, is dialed up to 11 here where in the original you know the very beginning of the movie we get that POV shot of him stabbing his sister it's pretty much just that he just walks in on her and stabs her to death here it's like he stabs her and then has to stalk her down the hallway while she cries and pleads for her life for a few minutes. I think that he's a, a filmmaker that understands that leave more up to the imagination. It's, it has more of an impact. Like, I do not like The Devil's Rejects. I think it's stupid. Um, but there is one scene where Bill Mosley has the two guys, basically. They're like, oh, I thought you were going to let us go. He's like, I'm not going to let you go. And he has that moment where he like pulls his hair aside and he's like, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's work. I'm like, that's a pretty good line. But then you just see him like straddle this guy and you can see him with a knife just cutting into a person that's alive. I'm like, fuck, I don't need to see what he's doing. That gives me chills just watching that. And I think that that is something that is a, a strong element in this movie. It's still pretty brutal, and again, like Trevor was saying, this isn't my this isn't my cup of tea anymore. Like there was a time when this movie had more of an impact on me. Rewatching it now, I didn't get as much out of it. Well, what's weird for me is that it's like Kyle and I again we talked about this before we started recording was that the performances here, like as a director of actors, Rob Zombie does seem to have a good handle on how to how to draw excellent performances out of people for for the the express purpose of expressing like <laughs> depression terror and cruelty <laughs> um only yeah, take that away that from is, him yeah yeah it, i cannot take that away from them the man the only problem with that is that i don't get anything out of watching that it, mm-hmm. it's not i don't get any nourishment or sustenance from taking in <laughs> A, a performance like that it's like i can acknowledge like very similar to like watching a sport i don't understand or something mm-hmm. i can acknowledge the talent and the skill that goes into conveying that but i don't get it i mm-hmm. guess like i just don't get as much out of it um it's a personal thing i'm sure there are super fucking fans of his films um but this is one aspect of them that as a 35 year old man it it holds significantly less appeal than it did to me when I was, like, in college or high school. Yeah. Um, Happy Halloween, boo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Steph's like, oh, no, is he going to kill... I'm like, he's not going to kill the baby. That's no, gonna, That's going to be Laurie Strode. It's <laughs> this gonna be isn't fun. Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> Don't worry about the baby. Uh, yeah, he spares baby boo. Uh, Michael's outside with his mom, comes home. He's got blood on him, and she's like, what are you doing out here with the baby? Why is there blood? And I guess he must have called the cops because they show up shortly after. It's not really clear whether he called them or she called them. Either way. I mean, uh, there was screaming and stuff. Maybe someone nearby. Uh, I think that this is this is good. We see we don't have a full-blown Tony Collette in Hereditary, like, writhing on the floor in agony. Um, not that I don't think Sherry Moon Zombie could do that. That's just not what he did in this movie. Probably for the best. But we've got, like 
cops taking him out. We have reporters say he killed his stepdad by taping him to the chair and slitting his throat. He stabbed his sister. And then some fucking goblin was on the floor. They figured out was her boyfriend at the time. Uh, he has been bludgeoned to death. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so he ends up going to... This is 11 months later at Smith's Grove. Um, he is being treated by Dr. Loomis. And he's kind of asked, he's like sitting there with him. He's like, hey, Michael, how's it going? He's kind of just like a kid kind of bopping around in his chair. And he's like, do you remember anything from that night? He's like, no, I don't I don't remember a thing. It's like, okay. So we're led to believe that Michael blacked out during this part of it. Um, it's not really something that was, I mean, there's, Michael Myers literally says nothing. Neither care, not, neither his little child self or his adult self says anything and any Halloween movie. So this is the first time that we're getting any kind of like, oh, he, he blacked out during it. So he was having like a psychotic episode. Yeah, this this seems to, I don't know, stray very, very, very far from the original characterization uh, from like the John Carpenter films and whatnot, where we get Donald Pleasance telling us that kid is the fucking devil. <laughs> you need to kill him with fire <laughs> and then kill it again. Mm-hmm. Um, this kid, it's like, it's kind of weird because I did mention I did name drop uh, Star Wars, like Star Wars epi- episode one through three, uh, when we first started recording here, because this do- does kind of feel like the origin of Anakin Skywalker or something. It does. <laughs> it's yeah. like you were the chosen one, and then you you fucked it up. <laughs> you underestimate um, my power. Oh, you mean you underestimate my power? <laughs> yeah, but what's weird here is that we do take the care for the first time first and basically only time in the whole series to like go back and take a look at how this fella came to be like how how you know the devil came to be michael myers um but it's it's not clear exactly like you would expect the math to be more straightforward but we get things like this that kyle just pointed out where when questioned about the killings he denies them he claims he didn't do that yeah. So he claims to have blacked out, and we never actually get an answer as to whether that's him, you know, just casually telling a lie or if that's actually true. I and mean, it just, it just, it, it just raises too many questions. Too many questions. <laughs> uh, and then we get uh, Danny Trejo playing. Uh, I don't know what his name is in the movie, but he's uh, he's janitor, and he gives possibly the worst advice you could give to a child who's just murdered uh, his family. Is a uh, hey Mike? I used to be in prison. Uh, learn to live inside your head. Don't let him get to you, man. <laughs> it's like yeah, don't tell him that. Do not tell him that. Don't, don't tell Michael Myers <laughs> to hang out inside his own head. You don't want to be there. Yeah. You don't want to be there. No, no, no. Just yeah, explore all that stuff. No. Um, yeah, it, just just stew stew in all that anger. <laughs> Yeah, and then we have, again, Loomis, and Michael's made a, a new mask, and it's a black mask, and he's just like, it's my favorite color, and he has to correct him. He's like, it's the absence of color. Do you, I'm sorry, do you want to take this? Sorry. Black is not a color. <laughs> it's merely the absence of color. Just just so you know. Um, yeah, and then Mom comes to visit him, and he's wearing this creepy-ass mask, and he's just like, uh, hey, uh, uh, how's everybody doing at home? Um, and she is, I mean, visiting this child for crying out loud. I mean, it's been 11 months. I guess she's had some time to, to, to mourn a bit, but I was talking to Stefan, like, could you 
love your child that murdered your other child at this point? It'd be tough. That would be really tough. Be. Like that, that's, a, that's a big ask for, for a mom. You've got that cute little baby. You could just focus on her. Don't even have to worry about this kid. He's dead yeah, weight. Just, just <laughs> dump it all into little boo. Yeah, that, that's just... I have no more love to give you, Michael, okay? I mean, she, like, to her credit, like, her face does kind of indicate that, where it's like she's trying. Mm-hmm. She is really trying, but, like, this is an impossible scenario for, for any anyone. Yeah, his map. Um, I did like this transition. Um, it, we're in Christmas time. Oh yeah, we get a deck the halls hard cut to fuck <laughs> you, fuck you all. <laughs> I want to go home. Yeah, he's he's not doing so well with his incarceration, and uh, Loomis has to tell him, he's like, listen, you've done horrible, terrible things. Ha- even Hitler would be like, man, you've did some nasty shit. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you, I mean, you tied up your stepfather. I'm sorry, it was your boy, your, your mother's boyfriend. You slit his throat while he was watching a movie. Really rude. You could have waited until after the movie. Um, yeah. But mom comes to visit. He's cut the sleeves off his shirt for some fucking reason. And uh, he's just down. And she lifts his mask up. And he's like, put my mask back on. So you can see he's starting to step into the dark side here. And then he's just having a really quiet lunch with mom and Loomis. And mom's just like... Hey, here's a picture of you and the baby. Um, do you want to say anything? No? All right, I'm going to get out of here. And he's like, oh, I'll walk you out. Hey, nurse, do you want to come watch this kid while I walk his mom to the uh, walk his mom to the car? <laughs> yeah, uh, by the way, this nurse is played by Sybil Danning, uh, who I have seen topless in countless films uh, through the <laughs> 80s. <laughs> Uh, great lady. She she did a lot of work in the eighties. A lot of work that I appreciate. Um, so uh, it needs to be said, the director's cut, the longer cut of this film, this whole sequence uh, interspersed throughout it were these vignettes, like these black and white grainy footage sequences of young Michael uh, just hanging out uh, in the sanitarium or whatever, uh, while Doctor Loomis uh, narrates uh, that his situation is worsening. It's all redundant. Like it's all stuff that doesn't need to be in the movie, and that's why it's not in the theatrical cut. But this whole sequence was much longer in the director's cut that Kyle has probably seen more often than the one that we're talking about here. But Nurse Wynn, I believe, is the same nurse uh, from the original Halloween, who I think in the series chronology, in in like the entirety of the franchise, has been killed at least three times. Um, here in just a few seconds um, H2O um, and if it's, if the character is the one that I'm thinking of I think in Halloween Kills she also got killed in that too Nice, <laughs> so, uh, this poor lady um, yeah he uh, he ends up stabbing her in the neck This anno- they hit the alarm in this it's like whoop, whoop, and it's like two minutes straight of this alarm going off while we deal with this scene like Loomis running back in, and then this stupid little kid, like, bark biting at him because they took his mask off. And anyway, he's he's no good. That kid's no good no more. Uh, where mom, I think mom's pretty much done at this point. Uh, she's really done yeah. at this point. <laughs> yeah, she, he lashes out at even her. Yeah. So it's like that. that's where the connection is severed. It's like, yeah, he, he's beyond saving at this point. If he's, yeah. if he's trying to get at me, too. Like, um. This seems to be a thing that Rob Zombie does from time to time. These sequences where it's just like 
noise or just purely music playing over a sequence because in house of a thousand corpses we had that folk song playing over when they find all the bodies in the shed mm-hmm. um and then we have this where it's just that whoop, that just alarm tone playing over the rest of the scene where everything's silent um and then we uh we cut to mom uh, at home laying on the couch watching home movies via a projector uh and uh she unfortunately decides to shoot herself uh and uh we cut away from that scene of her watching like home movie footage of her like watching footage of michael myers um and we hear boo crying in the background so mm-hmm. uh, that baby's an orphan now um <laughs> 15 years later uh, we're back at the smith's grove uh sanitarium oh uh, dude whoever did the fucking did you you didn't write the uh the imdb uh thing for sybil danning did you because whoever did is a fucking creep um no, I didn't. <laughs> Statuesque, five seven, blonde beauty, Sybil Danning reigns supreme as one of the sexiest, most dynamic and commanding actresses to achieve cult B movie queen status. Whew. Uh, yeah, she has got, got a, the vapors just reading that, <laughs> dude. She has got a, a novel in her in her IMDb for her biography. Man, all right, mom killed herself fifteen years later. Um, we get Danny Trejo. He's got some redneck dude uh, that he is training to take over as his replacement, I suppose. And this is the dude from uh, uh, Devil's Rejects, who I think he gets his—he's the one who gets his face sliced off. He actually—I thought when I was watching the when I was watching the theater, I thought it was Rob Zombie because this dude looks just like Rob Zombie uh, in this. But he's just like, "Hey, man, I ain't gonna take no shit from you. You ain't my fucking boss." And Danny Trejo's like, I don't give a fuck. I've, I, I retire in three months. I don't really give a shit. Um, but this actor, uh, this character in, in the movie is the one. Do we want to talk about the scene that they snipped out and why we're thankful? It's, it's important. Yeah, it's important. So how about you explain it? Okay, so what happens in um, the alternate cut or whatever was our deleted scene, uh, Mike, I think, ends up... He's in his room uh, messing with his masks, and this redneck dude and another guy end up taking one of the other inmates, uh, a young woman, and they just take her into his room while he's quietly uh, 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 paper macheing a mask together, and they basically rape her in this room, and it's a really, really wild scene. These guys are, like, it's really like like deliverance style like this is crazy and he just kind of gets up and take cares takes care of business and that's how he ends up getting his escape which it i'm glad they didn't go with that but that would have made more sense at how he escapes in this movie because how he escapes in this movie is crazy uh, at least initially getting out, which we'll, we'll get to here in a minute. But yeah, I'm I'm glad that they did not go with that because it was a bit unnecessary. Well, it's it's unnecessary, and also it's like far fetched. Yeah, to say it. Yeah, it is. Like, it, it makes again, no fun. Like, like I said, the 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 main thing that you need to remind yourself is that somebody on set every time they're doing sequences like this was asking themselves or just saying the phrase like, "Dude, that's fucked up," like. That w- that was the intent behind a lot of these sequences. Is it would leave the viewer thinking that to themselves. And yes, that scene achieves that. It's just like, hang on, who would who would 
who would do that? Also, like, come on, guys. Also, it doesn't make sense with Tyler Maine's stature. He is built like yeah. that goddamn Undertaker. <laughs> like, he is literally a monster. Like, you're not even going to bump, accidentally bump into this dude. Like, you're going to walk on the other side of the sidewalk if you saw this dude. And these guys are like, hey, let's go mess with this dude who's clinically insane from murdering people. Let's go Let's go fuck from with him. From murdering many people. <laughs> yeah. He's it's, an honest 6'10". Yeah. <laughs> he's, yep. he's, he's as wide as you are tall, and you're going to talk shit to him. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. And I, I do think it's funny that in that sequence, I think what triggers him to kill everybody is they touch his art. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I don't think he intercedes until that happens. Which is rude. Don't touch people's art. Don't touch people's stuff. Yeah, don't touch my art. That's uh, the best scene in, uh, what is it? Um, uh, what is it? Uh, doodoo paper. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Don't touch my, are you touching my art? Uh, uh, fucking, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, no, it's forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. Right? You're drawing doodle don't paper. Touch my art. Don't touch my art. Doodle <laughs> paper. I do like doodle paper now. I like how she tells him like, "Don't, he'll kill you." Like, really? And he just goes in there to get it, and the guy's immediately like, just on him immediately. <laughs> it's pretty great. Don't touch my art. Yeah, dude, but he has been putting in work on these uh, paper mache masks. Like, there's a ton, but I do like Danny Trejo's. Just like, hey man, me and this guy, we've got a special bond. So shut the fuck up. All right, we gotta we gotta transport this guy basically. Um, and again, he is just huge. He's a monster. Um, we never, excuse me, we never see his face, but basically the scene is Loomis is having a meeting with Michael, and he's just like, listen, uh, Michael, I think I'm going to see other patients now. Uh, our therapy has gone really fucking nowhere. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> you haven't talked in 16 or 15 years. I think I'm going to move on now. It's like, 15 years? It took you this long to, to dump him? It's it's ridiculous. Well, it's implied that he ruined his own life trying trying uh, to work on Michael uh, because he he does say fifteen years that that's twice as long as my last failed marriage or something like that. So it's implied like I, the way this is the way this is scripted is pretty clever where it's like you get the sense that he he did in fact waste his time uh, for the past fifteen years. Um, but what's weird here is that. The director's cut has additional scenes, uh, however extraneous, that seem to make Loomis seem more sympathetic. Um, whereas in this one, we hard cut from him saying, I'm quitting you, Michael, um, to him doing like a lecture <laughs> and promoting his book tour. <laughs> so it makes him come across as a little bit sleazy. Um, however, it clashes with uh, the rest of his characterization throughout the film because he, he does seem virtuous and he does seem like his heart is in it. It's just this this awkward cut where we go from that to him like cashing in. It's it's a little comical, honestly. But basically, he has a lecture about the nature of uh, psychopathy and uh, how Michael Myers is like a poster child for the perfect storm of interior and external factors colliding to create a, a monster, essentially. Do, okay, so the first uh, the second David Gordon Green movie was uh, really like. Uh, evil dies tonight evil dies tonight he says these eyes these eyes of this kid's eyes are there the eyes of his eyes are just so dark and eyes black eyes i'm like dude it's ridiculous he says eyes way too many times well on that note i i part of the script of the of this movie i i found myself missing donald pleasance quite a lot eh. because donald pleasance's dialogue while while it's like a little too poetic and a little too flowery from time to time in that original Halloween movie. 
there's a certain like gravitas that comes with it that like does a lot to fill in the blanks that like the the violence in that movie doesn't doesn't bother to fill in like he, he's the hype man for michael myers throughout that movie yeah and he's eloquent in a way that no one in this film is um and also he he came across as a little bit of a madman himself um whereas this loomis like i said comes across as more virtuous and just pure uh whereas like donald pleasance is like i think he's a little crack too man <laughs> like I, I don't know if i trust this guy either yeah you're not alone uh, i've heard other podcasts praise donald pleasance and it's like oh he was such a great part of those movies he's so important in those movies i'm gonna be honest with you i couldn't care less about that character i like i'm I, like when i was watching these as a kid i'm like i don't give a fuck about him i'm here for two things killing and boobs and I'm almost out of boobs, so let's get to killing. Like, and that's kind of how I went in with this movie when I watched it when I was younger. It's like, I don't really care about the Loomis character. I know he's important. He's exposition. He's supposed to help kind of move the plot along. Like, we have to go try to stop him. But, I, like, I don't... I, they're the same. Like, they've given the same amount to me. They've given the same amount for me in both characters, well, both what's actors. Funny, what's funny about the history of the franchise is that in its early years... Donald Pleasance was leaned on as like the guy who tied it all together. Mm-hmm. It was kind of assumed that he was the guy that people would would show up for. Um, but in more recent years, it's been revealed no, actually Jamie Lee Curtis uh, seems to be the person who puts asses in seats because yes. every time she shows up, with the exception of Halloween Resurrection, which she was contractually obligated to do, as far as I understand, uh, she's the difference maker. Mm. Um, so it took. A really really long time but i think history has shown that you're you're probably right that like donald pleasance's importance to the series is i like him but you know the way he was utilized in some of those later sequels was like this is this is no good guys like like he this this poor old man has better things he could be doing with his time and now he's gone (laughs) does he did he i don't know (laughs) I, i think he was right where he needed to be um but yeah, so uh, we get the cast of Devil's Rejects, and this is Bill Mosley just, oh, this is the amount of Bill Mosley I like right here is fucking 45 seconds, and he has almost no dialogue. <laughs> he just says like a few words. It's pretty great. Uh, he's really obnoxious to me. I understand that's kind of what he's supposed to be when Rob Zombie you know, gets him in the movie. But I guess we have the moving crew. This is the crew that's moving a body, and he's just like, they just tell me to come in when we got to move somebody. And it's the cast of uh, The Devil's Rejects. Uh, We have Leslie Easterbrook, who played Mother Firefly um, in Devil's Rejects, who I just want to say, she is beautiful. Uh, This actress is, uh, she's a bit older, but I'm like, she's, I'm just drawn to her. She has a gorgeous smile. I, I don't. I don't think this is Mother Firefly. I, I, I think is. this is the lady from Police Academy. <laughs> uh, so the act Karen Black played Mother, Flyer, Mother Firefly in House yeah. of a Thousand Corpses. Leslie Easterbrook played her in The Devil's Rejects. That's why I said oh. this is the cast of Devil's Rejects right here. Uh, gotcha. Bill Mosley is here. Yeah, this is not Karen Black, bro. <laughs> this is a different no. person. This is a different no. person. <laughs> this no. is a, that's a totally different person. Um, and then the sheriff, uh, the brother that's killed in the first, in House of a Thousand Corpses, and then his dream ghost in the second movie. Um, and they're here. Yeah, Tom Tom Towles, uh, mustache cop, as I often refer to him. Steph's like, <laughs> Steph's like, he only has sideburns on his face. <laughs> She's like, the only hair he has on his head are sideburns. He doesn't even have hair. 
It was the style at the time. <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> it was the style. Don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, we're we're moving Michael tonight. Uh, so this is our team of four. And then there's just some other guy who literally says nothing and just dies. Um, but this was the scene I was talking about where Michael getting out makes no sense. Um, so they're moving this six six foot nine. You say six nine? Easily. Okay. Easily. He might be six ten. Like. Yeah. Uh, they're moving this monster with four people, and uh, they're just kind of in between, like, the two doors, and he just snaps his handcuffs like fucking Twizzlers, just like, pop, just just gets right out of there, and just starts murdering people. Um, I think we get, uh, the two that I held down that, that cracked me up, he has the wherewithal to use the one guy as a human shield, which was pretty great. I had to chuckle at that. Um, but I, does he get a throat rip on this lady? He does. Nice. He would make MacGruber proud. Nice. He, he, he gets the turkey. He only gets gobble, the gobble. He only got the one. <laughs> you got to get three. You got to get three to get the turkey. Uh, he only got one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he, he rips out Leslie Easterbrook's, uh, esophagus. Um, and, uh, Bill Mosley, I think just gets like bludgeoned to death. He get he just gets cloppered in a corner somewhere. And Tom well Towles, I think, uh, same deal gets thrown into a corner and just just mud hole stomp to doom um but yeah this uh prisoner transfer is a little action movie-esque um it it doesn't feel like something in a horror movie honestly um but it is much more efficient uh than the alternative that kyle had mentioned so this is this is us approaching the status quo um but he kills a bunch of cops he drags off leslie easterbrook's body for reasons uh, we never actually see what becomes of that but it's around here where uh, we see danny trejo uh he's like closing out his shift and whatnot but he notices like oh the reception area is not populated with people when it should be and the phone is just like ringing off the hook and we see that like someone some office worker has their throat also torn out and she's just like dying in some corner of the room that he can't see he got two. He got, got two. two. I don't remember if we get a third uh, towards the end of the film, but I don't think so. Almost. He, he's probably kicking himself all the way to the grave. But um, long story short, Danny Trejo rounds a corner, and uh, he finds uh, all the dead guards, all the security personnel, and he, he gives a good gasp. And then he turns around and, oh, Mikey! <laughs> Mikey's there. Uh, big old Mike is standing behind him and doesn't actually make a move for him. Uh, we get this uh, suspenseful sequence where danny trejo is like trying to maintain calm he's like okay mike i'm I'm gonna take this guy's handcuffs this very dead person's handcuffs i'm gonna put them on you and we're gonna get you back to your room because you you probably should be there you know all your masks are there it's 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 all cool it's all cool man and then uh michael myers like holds out his wrists as if he's gesturing to allow him to put the handcuffs on and then we get a Dave Chappelle psych. <laughs> gotcha, bitch. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know why he did this. This is almost. I, I don't. I can't think of a time where somebody having their head dunked and I can see their face with the camera, like them in the water, going. It's it's never been for anything but comedic. It's always just been funny. I don't know why he went with this. Now I do remember. I think it's the it's Halloween two, where he's he's in the hospital and he I think he he drowned boils the nurse's face, which is pretty fucking crazy in that movie. I remember that. I remember 
that'll 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 stay with you. Um, but I don't know if that's kind of what he's doing. Is he's just kind of like tip of the hat? I'm doing my own thing because I, I I don't like what he did here. I do feel really bad for this character. I think Danny Trejo does a pretty good job of like pleading for his life here. Um, it's sad, you know. You don't you don't want to see you don't want to see him die. Yeah, we all love Danny Trejo. Fuck yeah. I, if I'm in L.A. sometime, I will try his tacos because I've heard he's, he makes a mean taco. Um, I did not know he did he's that. He's an entrepreneur, awesome. that Danny Trejo. Uh, yeah. Um, I forget what the business is called, but I definitely would like to try that out. But, um, yeah, I know what you mean about the, the blah, 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 in the into the camera look. Um, it, it usually is done for comedic effect. And, in fact, in uh, Jason X... Um, one of the best kills in that movie and in the franchise history honestly uh we get that shot where the woman gets her face dunked into like the liquid nitrogen or whatever Mm -hmm. and her face freezes uh, and then he pulls the head out and he smashes it on the table Mm, great that's some good good cane hotter vicious gore great movie. wonderful uh what but here i think we're doing that thing where it's like dude that's fucked up where it's like as as danny trejo says i was good to you mikey um, and it is it's pathetic and it's it's sad it's it's cruel it's mean mm-hmm. um and again it's like oh, i don't really enjoy watching that no. <laughs> it's like what i just described kane hodder smashing a poor lady doctor's face on a counter that's fucking hilarious i love that but danny trejo lying on his back crying while getting his ass beat by by this giant kid that he kind of took care of for the past decade and a half this Dude, that's fucked up. That's fucked up. Um, so we get him getting multiple dunks, getting drowned, murdered, and then like the icing on the cake is uh, he rips a TV off of the corner mm-hmm. and just throws it on his head off screen, mind you. Yeah. But that whole sequence of him having his head dunked in the sink is like minutes of screen time. Yeah. Of just Danny Trejo in agony mm-hmm. um, and like having the thought roll around in his head of like. I did nothing but good things, and now this is what comes of it. Yeah. Again, really, like, effective in that it makes you feel things. They're just not things I enjoy feeling. I, I don't know. I haven't seen enough movies where people get tortured. Um, I feel like waterboarding is just something that people don't put in movies. Um, there was a funny gag on Tosh.0 where uh, he was like, waterboarding seems bad, but what happens if you get waterboarded with lemonade? And he, like starts to like pour water or pour lemonade on his buddy and he's just like oh it got in my eyes so they actually don't even do the thing and he's just like so it didn't really work out uh, viewers at home send in your waterboarding videos he's like no 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 don't do that like he was just making a joke i'm like he's like do not do that i'm just like i i was like thinking i'm like why didn't he waterboard him that would be something that would that would have been better more effective but then i was also like People kind of downplay waterboarding. Like that's not that not that bad, but it's awful. So I just don't know. Is it just like is it viewers won't understand that it's awful, or is it just something that producers like let's not give kids ideas. <laughs> let's just not do that. I mean, it might it really might be that because remember this is two thousand and seven. Um, I didn't I didn't I don't think I remember seeing waterboarding expressed on film until a few years later. Like oh, really? I think the first time I ever saw it, oddly enough was the expendables of all things yeah it's got to be spies Uh, or mercenaries it's got to be in that in that camp and if memory serves i think sicario they implied it oh i don't think they actually showed it Um, but they did have like water jugs in the room in the interrogation room and stuff but yeah uh 
Danny Trejo is dead. Um, yes. And then we, I think we cut to Loomis being woken up yeah. by a phone call from everybody's favorite Howard, mm-hmm. Clint Howard, yep. <laughs> who is the uh, sanitarium administrator, I believe. Yeah. He's just like, Loomis, he's fucking out, man. Uh, <laughs> hey, Loomis. <laughs> hey. He got out. Dude, you it's can't. It's not good, man. There's you, bodies everywhere. You can't have Brad Dourif and Clint Howard in the same movie because you started talking like, I forgot Clint Howard was in this because Brad Dourif. If, if it had been swapped, I would have forgotten that Brad Dourif was in the movie. But they're too, they're too similar for me. Um, but then we get my uh my favorite character of the movie and sadly he only has this scene um and he was the best yeah, part yeah. he was the best part of the devil's rejects ken foray yeah. uh playing big joe grizzly who looks like a werewolf <laughs> when he steps out of this truck he looks like a straight up werewolf with this hair and sideburns oh yeah no his his hair piece and those sideburns yeah. it it's not a good combo. He looks like a. This is an obscure reference. You probably won't get it, but um, the Legend of the Drunken Master. No. Uh, the Jackie Chan movie. Uh, it's Drunken Master Two. Uh, there's a sequence where one of the the chief like heavies in the movie gets set on fire, and the aftermath with his eyebrows burned off and like the shitty wig they gave that guy looks like Ken Foray in mm. this. But um, yeah, uh, everybody's favorite. He shows up here. Um, I did like when he looks at himself in the mirror. Oh like, yeah! Oh mercy, mercy! Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> mercy, mercy! It's like yeah. And he, he's <laughs> you uh, look like shit, but you know whatever. <laughs> yeah. So Mike escaped from the uh, sale asylum, and he's made it to the truck stop. But yeah, Ken Foray's um, or I'm sorry, Big Joe Grizzly is in here yeah. looking at a at a porno magazine. He's like, oh mercy, good you dirty girl. He's talking to the <laughs> talking to it. He's talking to the dirty mag. <laughs> uh, and I just I'm gonna highlight his whole his whole scene here. He's just like Mike comes up and knocks on the door and he's just like, hey man, I just had some tacos, so it's gonna be a little bit. <laughs> so if you I can love just... the phrasing. They're they're talking back at me. <laughs> yeah, they're talking back at me. <laughs> And uh, he keeps knocking, so he's just like, hey, man, I'm going to get rough with you if you don't fuck off. And he's got a fucking buoy knife, basically. Uh, and he pulls his pants up, and he opens up the door. He's like, do you know who I am? I'm Joe Grizzly, bitch. <laughs> and obviously he dies, but it, knockout. Knockout in this movie. I wish he had stayed in, or if he would have had just a, a different role in this movie. Yeah, what ensues is like a... A knockdown, dragout brawl that apparently I was I was really surprised. Um, and it actually makes some sense given the size of these two fellas. Um, both guys did their own stunts, uh, so this is Ken Foray and Tyler Maine going at it in this turlet stall. Uh, I really hope he didn't get down to business in there because that is not a that is not a situation you want to fight in uh, when you when you haven't even wiped yet. You know, <laughs> I had friends. We had two big truck stops by our. Um, like where our high school was. So there was a place where teenagers worked, clearly. I had buddies that worked there. They said those those fucking showers in that whole area, absolutely disgusting. Those those dudes are absolute savages. They will shit in the showers. They will. They are absolutely disgusting. Um, not all truckers, but some of the guys that go in there, you know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, Michael gets his uh, his coveralls and his boots. And uh, he heads to Haddonfield, where it is October 31st. Um, go ahead. You look like you want to say something. Oh, just just uh, the uh, 
the bathroom stall, it getting wrecked the way it did apparently was not planned. Oh. Apparently they just got whipped up into the scene and uh, just had at it. Very roughly choreographed sequence. Very violent um, without being gory. But um, yeah, we're, it's kind of funny. Uh, the structure of, of this particular Michael Myers, this the shape, is done kind of like how I'd expect a horror sequel or like a, a franchise sequel in 2022 to be done. Where it's like there's this like air of reverence put on like the assembling of the costume where it's like we need to explain how he got the boiler suit we need to explain we need to put significance on the mask which in the original film he just haphazardly grabbed he just stole Mm -hmm. from a convenience store or some shit (laughs) whereas in this one it's like it's tied into his origin Um, and we don't ever see him driving. So in the original, he's he's driving in that movie. Again, never learned to drive, but he's driving. I always thought that was kind of comical. That the escaped mental patient just hops in a car and drives a hundred miles down the road to Haddonfield. Yeah, sure, he could do that without sure. crashing. <laughs> yeah, um, a drunk teenager has a better chance of making it to Haddonfield. Um, and, <laughs> but I think that. Uh, what I was like, I could comfortably infer from this scene that he hitched a ride, like like stowing away on a on a on a semi, basically, because we don't see him driving at all, and we don't see a vehicle that he comes in. I I was just like, okay, he just managed to hitch a ride somehow to Haddonfield. He just happened to pick the right way and uh, jumped off when he had to. But um, yeah, we're at Haddonfield. He's not quite there yet, but he's gonna show up. Trust me. Um, and we get uh. The, Stro- the Strode family, and they are just the happiest, cutest little family unit, and I just keep putting in my notes, be a shame. Sure would be a shame if anything happened to them. Um, uh, but she's, yeah, has this, Dee Wallace, I believe, is her mother in this movie. Uh, e- uh, Elliot's mom, not E.T.'s mom. Uh, and yeah, nice family unit. She, she's walking off to school, and this little kid, do you know who this little kid is? I recognize his face as an adult, but refresh my memory where I recognize him from. Um, you may not recognize him as, as easily. Um, his name is Skyler um, uh, Gisondo, I guess is how you say sure. his name. Uh, he was in that Vacation remake. Uh, he's in The Amazing Spider-Man, those movies. Um, but he plays uh, Gideon Gemstone on The Righteous Gemstones. Uh, right now which is excellent show again if you're not watching the people david gordon green danny mcbride it's gold get on it um but i was like oh he's in this movie but yeah i wouldn't i would not have put it together unless i had looked at the cast when i saw this but he's just you know we got to have obnoxious kids to babysit for it's part of the halloween franchise you just got to have it um and he's that obnoxious kid and then he's just like yeah blah 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 here's the myers house and uh What's her face? Lori's walking past the house, and Michael just happens to be in there, and he sees her. Does she go up to the house, or is she just kind of passed by the house, and he takes note of her? Yeah, so during the uh, delightful breakfast sequence with the Strode family, um, I think her dad works in, like, real estate or something. Yes, 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 yes. Um, And he has some form of notice that he wants to drop off at the Myers house because there may be, like, an interested party or something. So it's on her walking route to school, so he hands it off to her. Um, Yeah, by the way, uh, some of that filmmaking shit, um, the way we introduce Haddonfield um, is virtually identical to how we introduced it at the beginning of the film at at the Myers house, uh, complete with shot of eggs being cooked in a frying pan. So it's, you know, it shows some 
attention to detail on the part of Rob Zombie, where it's like we are we are directly putting a hat on the fact that this is an example of a rotten family, and this is an example of you know a much happier family or household in the same town, just fifteen years apart. But um, yeah, Laurie drops the notice off uh, through the like the mail shutter or whatever. Uh, meanwhile, Michael Myers has already gotten to the house and he retrieves his mat quote his mask mm-hmm. um, aka her his sister's now dead boyfriend's mask yep that is stored in the floorboards of the attic yes as well as the kitchen knife uh that he used to kill his sister so i guess before the cops arrived he stowed that up there yeah he must have sure sure yeah so so now he's completed his his superhero suit. i am uh, complete his, yeah yeah he now has his iron man suit uh complete uh with helmet and and weaponry mm-hmm. um and the theme music of course plays the iconic theme music um but yeah he is watching uh Lori through through like a crack in the door while she's putting the slip through the through the mail shutter yeah um, then we cut to school where we do no schoolwork. <laughs> yeah. like we don't even get a classroom in this movie it's study hall <laughs> it's study hall yeah uh, we get her friend uh one played by danielle harris who is also been a part of this franchise she is from uh halloween four and five um she is one of the friends and then the other friend is just other friend i have danielle harris and other friend for this movie um but uh I think they they're just talking about high school girl stuff, maybe cute boys, alcohol. So stuff much like that. fucking giggles. Yeah. So many giggles. Yeah. So many titters and giggles. <laughs> uh, they're walking home, and I think her friends in the first one, like they were kind of a little bit. I'm not mean to her, but they like were like you know bust her balls a little bit more. Uh, yeah. They're a little more cordial. She was the square. Yeah. She was the square. She was in the, the square. original. But yeah. But Kyle, uh-huh. high school question. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what answer I'm going to get, folks. This this is out of nowhere. But mm-hmm. did any of your cheerleaders at your high school wear Slayer shirts? Uh, I'm not cheerleaders. I think there might have been a couple. Like, I do remember there's girls that did like goth days. Like some of the popular girls, like we're going to dress goth today, which was just them in sweatpants and like a band T-shirt. Um, I think my girlfriend at the time had a Slayer t-shirt, uh, but I don't think she, she didn't listen to Slayer. Um, but no, no cheerleaders that I can remember. I don't even remember who our cheerleaders were. I was, I was doing other See, shit. See, I, I have to assume this is a Rob Zombieism because like some of the, some of the clothing in this movie, and I haven't seen it actually, um, Halloween 2, um, that is important to note. I mm. like I'll, full, full disclosure. This- I haven't seen Halloween 2. This was ironic for girls to do at the time. This was something that was happening at the time, where girls that have never listened to Slayer were wearing Slayer shirts, Cannibal Corpse shirts. I've gone to bars where the bartender was like a smoke show, wearing Cannibal Corpse shirt. I'm like, she doesn't listen to Cannibal Corpse. Okay, well, I, I, I don't know either way. It's just one of those details, one of those production design details where it's like, so we have a kid in the beginning of the movie wearing a Kiss shirt. We got Kiss music. We got Alice Cooper on the soundtrack. We got Rush. We got a high school cheerleader in presumably the late '90s, early 2000s, wearing a Slayer T-shirt. <laughs> it's like, eh, Rob Zombie. I think you. I think you know the. I think you know the kind of women you want to see in your movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Anyway. But yeah, 
Lori saw Michael Myers watch. I think was he watching her when she was in school? I think she may have noticed him. I don't know. When they're in the library yeah. and study hall, she notices him. Uh, it's a callback to the original film, which this this remainder of the film is just callbacks to the original essentially for sure um although she was in class in the in the original if memory yeah. serves when she saw him behind the tree dude and she gets um, called on no, when she, she sees him on the sidewalk in the in, jamie lee curtis gets called on in that movie and she just fucking straight up answers like she wasn't even paying attention and she knows the answer that never happens it never happened to me i'll tell you that right now um <laughs> but yeah so they're they're walking home and they're chattering about god knows what and uh we see michael myers again and I think Daniel Harris starts talking shit to him, like, hey, fuck you, dude. And nothing really becomes of that. I think maybe he disappears. Like he- She's, they they put a hat on the fact that she is the sheriff's daughter. Yes. So yes. to tease a pervert from across the street, she's like, try it, you know. Like, that's her perspective on yeah. things. You know what my dad is, motherfucker? Yeah. Um, exactly. And then Sheriff Brad Dourif. Is there a, any actor that's less sheriffy than Brad Dourif? He's pretty low on the on on the on the list of people. An odd say. choice, an, an odd choice for an authority figure, but he's always welcome. But yeah, but, he, he's like five foot five and and ill tempered. <laughs> he always is an odd choice. Like he even sticks out in Lord of the Rings. He's in uh, the Two Towers and Return of the King. Worm he, tongue. He fit. Yeah, worm tongue. Worm tongue. He fits in with that aesthetic, but. Even still, like when you see him come on the screen, like, oh, whoa, that guy's evil. He's definitely evil, no doubt. Um, but yeah, he uh, he's the sheriff in this, um, and he gives uh, Daniel Harris a ride. The other two chatter on about whatever, um, and then we get Loomis going to the cemetery with uh, Sid Haig as the groundskeeper. Yeah, uh, this this whole five minute stretch of the movie is just littered with wonderful cameos. Where mm-hmm. uh, we get like Udo Kier, yep, for like two shots. It's like, oh, okay, Udo Kier's in the movie, and, right. but now he's gone. Uh, in the director's cut, I guess he has more to say, but not much. Um, but yeah, Brad Dourif is actually an important character. I think he also comes back for the sequel. Um, Sid Haig though shows up for exactly this one scene, which is a very memorable scene from the original film. Um, unfortunately, Sid Haig is just here for this scene as the groundskeeper at a cemetery. Um, but he has this wonderful little tirade, just like, yelling about the stupid God damn it! Kids. Yeah, God damn piece of shit teenagers. His goddamn is always good. God damn it! Yeah, he reminds me of my grandpa. Well, what's what's really cool? You know, he he is his usage of profanity is. Yeah. I could listen to it all day. It's yeah. poetry. It's. Um, I think it's. But, him and Samuel L. Jackson, their their use of profanity is just it's gorgeous. Yeah, no, they they just know how to use utilize every 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 inch of it. They they get the most out of it. But I did like how he like before he gets set off before he sees the vandalism, which it comes in the form of like a crucified coyote or yeah. something. Um, he actually sounds like warm and normal, which is not something you get from Sid Haig all the time. But it shows his range as an actor. He can just sound like an ordinary guy, and then all of a sudden he sees something that pisses him right the fuck off, and God damn God it, damn piece it. of shit, teenagers! Hey. <laughs> yeah, and then I like how Loomis is like, uh, "I think I know whose grave that is," and he's like, "Where are you going?" <laughs> he's like, "Where the fuck are you going now?" <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> uh, yeah, and then we get a a party at the Myers house. Uh, oh my god. Linda yeah. and her boyfriend, I guess, 
I, I think because she told her, like, yeah, my dad's trying to sell the Myers house, so I have the key to it. Maybe she said, hey, leave it unlocked so I can bang my boyfriend in there or something. Rob Zombie question, Kyle. Go ahead. Do you think, based on the evidence solely contained within this film, of uh, sanitarium employees uh, raping a woman in, in a patient's cell and te- drunken teenagers banging in a derelict household where murders were committed Mm -hmm. do you think rob zombie is into fucking in very strange places uh like yeah maybe do you (laughs) think i don't know man i read that he is a uh, he is a vegan he's been a vegan since the 80s and he's got slightly dreaded hair i think he does He's, he, he's probably very sexually adventurous. I can see that. That, that, that adds up. Um, yeah. I thought... <laughs> he's, he's fucked standing up a few times in places outside of his own home. Yeah, in a Wendy's dumpster. Um, there yeah, you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next to the grease bin behind the tent. Yeah. Uh, it's always sunny reference for you. Um, yeah, he. I can see that. Yeah, uh, it doesn't make sense. I just have. Uh, yeah, we're going to Bone Town here immediately. Like they, they just go in and, and they do some banging. I get it. When you're in high school, you, you're trying to, you're trying to bang. You know, you got to wait for your your friends' parents who work third shift to leave. That's your best case scenario. Worst case scenario, you got to go to the house that's haunted in your town. Uh, it's unfortunate, really. Uh, different time. Hopefully, it's better now. Um, but, I'm sure it's not. It's <laughs> probably not. Uh, but Mike, actually, kids are probably like renting motels and stuff now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I mean, they they have they have Uber, they have Airbnb. Yeah. It's probably so much easier now. <laughs> probably is. Um, but yeah, Mike is watching the whole time, um, and we get "Don't Fear the Reaper" again. I think that was from the first movie. Um, and I think this dude, uh, she's pretty close to to busting, uh, but he definitely beats her to it, and. Uh, <laughs> He's just like, eh, I'm gonna go grab, uh, I'm gonna grab some more beers, and uh, this guy is wearing, I think this guy's got a wig on, like his his long hair here, but uh, he's got these big, like, um, these big old uh, glasses on, and if you remember from the first movie, I think the same character Linda banged a dude who had these kinds of glasses. Um, I was kind of disappointed because I didn't remember this uh, as I was rewatching. I'm disappointed. Uh, because I think that this scene in the original movie was two, like the two most iconic shots for two of the most iconic shots for me or scenes for me was this sequence where um, he ends up getting the one boyfriend as he's downstairs and just stabs him and he's up against the wall, which happens in this movie. And what makes that scene so good in the original is that one is just like, whoa, that's not supposed to happen. Like that's not enough. You can't support the weight. But the way he just sits there and he just kind of tilts his head back and forth as he's seeing him, it's just a really chilling, really chilling scene. And then he goes upstairs and he's got on a sheet with the glasses over top. And it's really, it's a really creepy moment because he's just standing there. And he goes up to kill, I can't remember the actress's name, but yeah, I think it's, it's a re- that's a really good sequence in that original movie. Probably my favorite is that. And then he kind of... He like pays homage to it, and he's trying to do it, but he does something different, and he fucks it up in this movie. 
Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you because they are pretty much they're hitting all the same beats. Yeah. Like they are just doing what they did in the original and you're right, it is one of the single most iconic moments in the whole franchise, really. Uh, one of the most iconic kills anyway. Mm-hmm. And then the follow up with him wearing the sheet with the glasses on the outside to pretend to be Bob. That's again directly lifted from the original. But just there's just something off about it. I think part of it is that they in the original I think they were just at like her parents' house or at his parents' house or something. It wasn't at the Myers house. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but that aside, also the the shot the the kind of like the side angle we get of the two figures standing opposite each other, of the hel- head tilt and stuff. We're shooting up a staircase. Mm-hmm. There's a staircase involved that wasn't an element in the original film. And I think it clutters the frame a little bit. It just robs it of some of its clarity and impact. It's just something's off. Just something isn't right, even though it basically is the same thing. It's hard to explain, but you'll you'll know it when you see it. But yeah. um, when when uh, he gets outed as not being her dude, uh, he uh, rushes at her, and we get a lot of nudity here. I'm well, sure. I mean, if he's gonna be, if he's gonna basically do a remake, uh, yeah, because PJ Souls is the original Linda. Uh, she was also in Devil's Rejects. She was the mom that the, that he clowns. That he's the one that bullies that clown bullies out of her car, basically. Um, ah. That was PJ Souls. Uh, but yeah, you have to have the jiggly boob. This is the jiggly boob kill. Uh, in the original, he he strangles her with the telephone wire, and I think. She thinks that she's calling her while having sex on the other line, but she's actually dying, which is, I mean, that's that's a good moment. But yeah, the jiggly boobs. We have to, we had to do the jiggly boobs here again. Well, but we also get like teasing a little bit more than just jiggly boobs here. Like like she's pretty much fully nude here. Well, what um, she doesn't have sheets on or anything. I, I I don't. Yeah, like I'm with you. I'm like I don't need unnecessary nudity. It it I just don't need it. I'm an adult, you know. But what what reason did we have the boobs in the why did we have boobs in horror movies back then for Trevor? Oh, they're they're there for the exact same reason, titillation. Yeah, you know? ex- exactly. So now it like I'm it, not I'm not objecting to it. I'm just pointing out that it's it's more than yeah, it was in the original. Well, that's what I'm saying. This is 2007. It's like <laughs> these kids have been around the block. They've got porn DVDs at home. Like I gotta do it. I gotta step it up a little bit. I gotta give them a little more in this movie. So it was the yeah, logical. Like, this next is 2007. Movie. Yeah. yeah, we got bit torn, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but instead of using the phone cord, because we have Tyler fucking Maine instead of uh, what's his face, it's that guy. Yeah, Nick Castle. There you go, director in his own right and personal friend of John Carpenter. Oh, nice. Um, he uh, he chokes her to death with one hand because he's Tyler Maine and he believably can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. That was that was a choice uh, in this film to to have a, a Michael Myers that is this large and this physical because that was not always the case. Uh, I mean, he was always supposed to be incredibly strong and whatnot, but he wasn't near seven feet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he chokes her to death with one hand, and then uh, during this whole sequence, when he's strangling her, uh, he's breathing heavily. He's mm-hmm. like panting the whole time, um, which stood out to me because it's very seldom that you ever hear michael myers make sounds like human noises you know you um and then we get we get this weird like frankenstein moment where we get a shot of him carrying her down the hallway mm-hmm. like draped over his arms yeah sure he, he's got another art project he's working on um 
Yeah, so we get uh, Loomis buying a gun, which is, this is a fantastic scene. Uh, him buying a gun. I'm like, welcome to America, dude. You can buy a gun quicker than you can buy liquor at this point. Uh, this dude, he's like, I just need a gun that'll shoot something really quick. And this guy's like, well, you don't want that. You want this other big gun. And he's not even talking about a background check or anything like that. If you have a guy who's in a hurry to buy a gun, it's like, maybe you should ask a few more questions here. <laughs> but this guy's just like, yeah, he's just like, bag it basically uh what what are, you, <laughs> what are you he's like what are you hunting by the way and we just cut away but yeah this guy uh good stuff no background check whatsoever. i will point out um i didn't I, I won't claim to have recognized him uh i needed to check up on it but apparently this is mickey dolan's one of the monkeys uh selling him the gun <laughs> like what, what the fuck is the monkeys it was a it was like a a fake band slash art project um, that was kind of oh. a riff on the Beatles. Uh, oh, that, you know, it was it was on Nick at Night and shit. Wasn't that Davy Jones? Was it Davy Jones and the Monkees? He may have been making the summers brighter, girl. <laughs> yeah, Kyle oh. has a, a YouTube video he oh. made me watch a few he's, a few months ago, I think. Oh, he's in there. That's Davy Jones for sure. He is in the Monkees. Look at that. Look at that. What is the clip that you made me watch? That's from the Brady Bunch. Uh, yeah. What's the song? Girl. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Girl. <laughs> um, Kyle made me watch this clip of Davy Jones singing Girl on the Brady Bunch. And uh, something about his facial expressions yeah. and his body language is deeply unsettling. <laughs> yeah, he's like a fu- Kyle's doing it right now. He looks like a happy cartoon chipmunk. Look it up, folks. Look it up. Davy Jones. It's terrifying. It's, it's really unsettling. It's very... <laughs> Another, another thing, um, my girlfriend is maybe, or my wife, my girlfriend, my wife, she's been my girlfriend longer than she's been my wife. Um, uh, she uh, had me watch Halloween Town, which is a bizarre Disney Channel original movie from the 90s. So she had me watch the second one. Those movies are very unsettling. Uh, they are meant for kids at that time. Uh, folks, if you want to be creeped out, watch those movies as an adult. They're, they're something else, but... Anyway, uh, we got to get back to this this loving Strode family unit. Dad's a smoker, and they're a happy family yeah. unit. I love it. Great stuff. Um, sure would be a shame uh, if anything happened to them. I do like how they are like how the dad gets it like immediately. Like so, they're sitting on the front porch. They're they're just you know having a good time, hanging out with each other. He's gonna smoke a cigarette. Lori goes off to go babysit somebody. I think. D. Wallace goes in to, she's like, I'm going to go start a fire. Like, they're going to go in, maybe watch a scary movie or something. But uh, Michael just comes up and just slits his throat, like, just out of fucking nowhere. Like, pretty quick. Yeah, dad's out of the picture immediately. Immediately. Uh, Michael follows mom in. And mind you, this is D. Wallace, America's mom, Mm -hmm. D. Wallace. Mm -hmm. Tom Hanks is America's uncle. D. Wallace is America's mom. Correct. Uh I want to I want to say that like it, maybe maybe the uh, like lack of gore and violence in like with her it's like it probably felt weird killing America's mom on film like mm-hmm. it probably just felt like icky even for Rob Zombie where it's like I mean I know the whole driving like thesis behind this production is like dude that's fucked up but like dude that's America's mom it's like we're murdering her on camera this is really fucked up yeah because she's just she has just such a nice smile and like she really she's just really like a loving mom in this like he really has her play like a just great like a really nice happy mom 
Uh, but yeah, this is yeah. this is brutal. Like this is this is. He throws her through a glass coffee table. Yeah. Mick Foley would be proud of yeah. D. Wallace. <laughs> Mr. Sacco would be happy too. Um, he, uh, <laughs> uh, little inside baseball for you. Um, there you go. But uh, yeah, he. I think he ends up breaking her neck. Uh, we missed a, a really great opportunity because she looks up at him and he is a fucking giant and i thought we were going to get like an upside down shot of him like would would be like a really creepy thing to see that mask upside down but we don't get it we just see just a normal shot of like the camera looking up at him and then he just snaps her neck real quick well see now you're thinking like me kyle <laughs> like this is what it, this is what it feels like for trevor to watch movies is like oh that was good but how did you miss that how'd you miss that opportunity been very chilling um, it would have been Especially if you're going to have a, uh, a Michael Myers that like vocalizes and like breathes heavily when he's doing stuff like this, like just that, like looking straight down at her when he's seven feet above her, like yes, th- that's chilling, that's creepy, especially because she doesn't know who the fuck this is or what's going on. I think, um, but yeah, the way he snaps her neck really casually is actually pretty effective. Yeah, it's it, like a yank. It was like in AVP when uh, he catches the uh, the little face hugger in the air, or like the little face hugger in the air, or is it like a, a fresh xenomorph? And he just like snaps it, like it snaps his neck like a pencil, and then it just makes that little like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, he he just he plays thumb war with the with the face with the chest burster yeah. and wins basically. <laughs> it's kind of what happens here. He just like just kind of snaps her neck real quick. But uh, the, now I probably when I saw it in the theater, it was a little bit creepier because horror movies, especially like jump scares and atmosphere, are a lot more fun in in a in a in a theater. They just are. That's what they're made for. That's what you should go do. Uh, but, Rewatching it, I just was watching this now, and I'm like, "That's good. Like, that's a good idea. That's creepy." But it didn't. It. I wasn't creeped out by it. It just. Did, it wasn't effective this time. But uh, I think we get a shot of just this little little redheaded girl watching uh, a thing from. I think it's the thing from outer space that she's watching. Think from another world. Think from yeah. another world. There you go. Uh, and Michael's just standing behind her watching this movie. I thought that was really cool because it's almost like he gets to finish the movie yeah. now. Yeah, like because that's what the, on the same night, fifteen years ago, the last time he probably got to watch TV. That's what that's the same movie, and it's also like the finale of it too. They're about to set the monster on fire, mm-hmm. so he's like watching intently. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but I guess basically what this Michael Myers has done is he's come back into town. He went into his house. He saw Lori come to his house. He saw her in the school, and then. These, he saw these three girls walking home. So basically, he's killed the first one, Linda. He went to her wherever she was, killed her. And then now he's on to the second one, Danielle Harris. Danielle Harris is the one watching this little red-haired girl, who, by the way, is doing excellent screaming in this movie. It's it's pretty good. I think that she does a pretty good job. Um, but yeah, she's uh, watching the movie with him, basically. And uh, he kind of just... Uh, I think he just kind of backs off, like he just kind of disappears when she goes into the other room. But uh, we have to get our evil dies tonight scene with Loomis and the sheriff. Um, Loomis is basically his, he's trying to convince the sheriff. He's like, hey, listen, this serial killer, you know Loomis. He's like, hey, fucking serial killer's on the loose. He's coming back here. I don't remember the rapport that he had with the sheriff. I feel like he was able to convince the sheriff pretty quickly in the first movie. Um, but Brad Dourif's a little more skeptical here. Uh, I think he 
gets him at like a burger place. Like he's like he's on the night shift and he's getting breakfast basically. Yeah, the sheriff in the original was also he was kind of like uh, he he hand waved away a lot of like the the threats that were going on where he's just like yeah it's Halloween you know shit's gonna go out kids are gonna be up to no good it's Halloween yeah. like you're out of your mind um, but here like Brad Dourif is actually like actively standoffish and he's like dismissive of him and there's layers to it which actually make a lot of sense yeah because he's aware we find out like in the next couple of scenes that he he is aware that Loomis wrote a book about the town and Michael Myers and he's like you're a sensationalist you're you're stirring up bullshit Mm -hmm. to to get rich essentially you're shitting on my town basically um by the way the 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 cinematography here we have these light blooms and like these like purple shimmering artifacts on the screen that are very distracting i find (laughs) tinsel distracting distracting. (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like tinsel um but yeah so just like in the original i think uh danielle harris's character in the original movie she's like hey can you watch watch both of these kids for me because I'm going to go bang my boyfriend, basically. And that's what she's doing. Daniel Harris is like, hey, will you watch this little girl? And I'm going to go hang out with my boyfriend who's a surfer dude, basically. Um, she's like, yeah, I'll watch them. So they go over there. She's going to watch both kids. Um, let's see here, Lori. What? What did I, I say here? Lori is Michael. Oh, so this is where we learned that. I, I, my note was just like, Lori is Michael's babysitter. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> baby sister uh, baby yeah. sister so yeah, yeah so we go back to the police station and brad Dur- that's where he tells him like you're a sensationalist you're just trying to drum up some shit he's like if he's like listen something bad's gonna happen he's like well if you're wrong i'm gonna be really pissed off but yeah so basically we learn from the sheriff that uh he was the one who when, who responded that night to the to the Myers murder uh, to the Myers murders, and he saw the baby, and he took the baby a couple of towns over to like the nearest fire station, or I think he said is where he took the baby, uh, which I don't think you're supposed to do that. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sh- I don't know if that's that's good police work. I think there's another that's way to do. It's not strictly legal. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But he took the baby to another town, and come to find out, his buddy Strode. Uh, ended up adopting the baby, so he knows the baby very well. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, so it was it was all it was from uh, Michael Myers's mom's suicide, by the way, uh, when he took the baby. But yeah. point is, he thought the baby was going to be far away from Haddonfield, but no, uh, as it so happens, uh, it came right back. Very close. Um, and by the way, when Brad Dourif calls the Strodes to check in on them, because Loomis is adamant that he's like he's got it all figured out, he's like Michael, M- Michael, he's back for his his sister, his baby sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Brad, Brad Dourif calls the Strodes, and they have a delightful Halloween themed voicemail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's absolutely adorable. As if you could not love and them anymore. Dead. Yeah, I know they're they're so great, and now they're dead. Um, but uh, I forget what movie this is that the kids are watching now, but I have seen it. Uh, it's like, it may be like the original The Haunting, because um, there's it's this Vincent Price, isn't like it? A, yeah. It's either that or House on Haunted Hill, the original House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, it, it's one of those two. Um, but yeah, there's a sequence where the skeleton is coming out of the floor that I, I, I know I have seen, uh, but I can't remember. It's one of those two, though, I'm pretty sure. I was just watching some Vincent Price last night. Uh, I've never seen Edward Scissorhands all the way through, so Steph and I were watching that, and 
yeah, Vincent, uh, Vincent Price is obviously the inventor in that movie. Um, I still got to finish it. I didn't get quite all the way through it, but uh, he seems he's just such a nice, just such a nice guy in that movie. Um, well, yeah, this oh, is he has wonderful grandpa energy in that movie. He really does. Yeah, um, um, one of uh, Danny Elfman's best scores, if you ask me. Yeah, some we, of the most beautiful music he's ever composed. We were we were noting it very much throughout that movie. I was like very much tuned into the soundtrack in that movie, so I very much noticed it. I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, definitely Danny Elfman. Um, but yes, this is where Michael gets uh, Daniel Harris and her dude. Uh, now, Trevor, how? did rob zombie pitch this scene to daniel harris like listen you're gonna have your shirt on for the first half of the movie that you're you're in the second half not so much um because basically she's getting hot and heavy with her boy and i do like how michael kind of comes into frame like he's just kind of watching in the background um kind of comes in but poor daniel harris like her her top is just off and open for like the remainder of the movie for her and she yeah it's pretty brutal um what happens yeah, to her too. I, I i don't doubt that rob zombie is a good guy like he seems he's he's a good interview he seems like a pretty decent guy but like in this movie in particular like this stuff is is very uncomfortable mm. like like the the way the the killings of the male characters and the female characters are handled in this movie there's a clear difference um, in in the energy that the sequences carry. Where it's it's very utilitarian when the dudes are getting killed. Like this dude gets dispatched in seconds, mm-hmm. and he is casually discarded. Her, she doesn't even die. No, uh, she gets the shit kicked out of her, um, and she has to crawl on the ground, crying and screaming, and like having mucus <laughs> drool drool down her face. Um, and yeah, she is topless for the remainder of the film, of which she's present for quite a lot of it. Um, now, we got to take this uh, culturally when this came out. This came out in 2007. This is two years after Hostel. Hostel made wave, like it, it made waves when it came out. It was very much known like this is a, we are moving in a different direction um, in America, in American cinema, because I think Martyrs is already, was already out at this point, 2005. Um, and yeah. Very graphic violence was uh, in vogue. So if he's remaking Halloween at this time, how do you tastefully remake this movie, but also ramp it up a bit so it's also kind of making waves? The best way to do that, I suppose, is to like have this poor girl going around with her top off basically the rest of the movie. I don't know. I don't know if that's what his thinking was. I'm, I'm, I'm giving him... I'm giving him an olive branch like maybe this is what he was going for it was like it's unsettling and it, we're talking about it now like it's really fucked up that this happened both to the character and to the actress yeah I, i'm i'm not sure how to feel about it exactly because like from a quote realism standpoint like if if that is how she was caught like like with if she was nude when someone's attacking her and she's beat up to the extent that she is. Mm-hmm. She's not going to. She's not going to clothe herself again. Like yeah. she's just not going to have the opportunity. So it's like, yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. It's just it's, it just dials up the uncomfortable factor, especially considering this was a child actress from the same franchise. Yes, that's really fucking weird when you think about it. Yeah, even a little bit. That's a whole other level. That's a whole other level of weird when you do think about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, even a little bit. Like I said, dude, that's fucked up. It was the guiding principle for most of the most of the sketchy shit in this movie. And mm. I, again, I don't have any harsh criticisms to level on the director or anything. It's just like this is an example of stuff stuff that I don't gravitate to in yeah. in the kinds of horror films that I generally watch. Um, but I, yeah, yeah, uh, I like Tony. Her Col- dude gets killed. I was saying, I like Tony Collette banging her head on the uh, attic door. That's more my speed. That's that's more fun for me. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, I think I don't know how Lori gets over here. Does she call her? Maybe uh, I, I don't recall how they how they end up over there. Yeah, let me scan my notes real quick. So we do have a sequence in a cop car uh, where Duraf and Loomis, uh, they are on the road, and uh, it's expl- this is where it's explained that yeah. Boo is actually Laurie Strode. And uh, I think Laurie went to the house uh, to drop off one of the kids. Like, maybe she got tired mm-hmm. of taking care of the girl. Like it's getting late enough that she's like, okay, I'm done. I'm done doing this. I'm gonna drop you off, and then we're all gonna go to bed. You know. Mm-hmm. So she takes, I think, just the girl with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Tommy's at the house, so he just takes the little girl with her uh, to uh, Annie. I think is the girl's name, Daniel Harris. And he takes her to her house, and uh, we get the scare of a. Uh, they find Paul, uh, Daniel Harris's dude, uh, who is now dead hanging from the ceiling with a with like a jack-o'-lantern on his head mm-hmm. uh in the original film this was a jump scare i think where he swings into frame i think you're right uh from the darkness we do get him swinging later but he's just kind of there and the girl starts screaming and Lori quickly tells her like run back to the house i think get it, out of here i think it's both the kids i think she does bring both of the kids with her um you might be right i think it's both but yeah, yeah tommy's the one that she screams out to open the fucking door Oh yeah, because I think both of the kids make it back, but then yeah, Lori, yeah, Lori gets back over to the house, and maybe she just have a little girl. Yeah, you're right. It might have just been a little girl, but yeah. Then they get back to the other house. She doesn't save her friend. Uh, I think Michael's uh, hiding behind the door, and she's like trying to. That warn. was cool. Yeah, I I like that. That was cool. That was slick, neat stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she gets to the house, and then um, she runs upstairs with the kids, and they go into the bathroom which is a dumb move. Go out the back of the house and keep running to another house for crying out loud. Well, she, Lori does call the cops from Annie's house. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get that sequence where like Michael is stalking around the house while Annie's like in shock and incapacitated on the floor. She's like screaming, but she can only say Lori's name. She no. can't, she doesn't have the wherewithal to explain what's going on. That Like the killer's in the house. And then we get that sequence where Michael pushes Paul to make him swing. <laughs> Mm. and he does the head tilt <laughs> it's like oh fuck is he is he a little kid in his brain like, like, like this is this is some kindergarten bullshit but yeah. um Lori does call the cops and uh Loomis and Duraf actually pick up on the call in the in the car but uh Lori runs away from Mike uh, I think she like smashes through a window or something she like escapes through one of the like window yeah. doors um, this is where the cinematography I, I just have it written as shaky mess mm-hmm. um, and she is a she has completed the call to the police station but um, she takes off running down the street uh, back uh, to the house where the kids are and she's like hobbled a little bit from, uh, from her injuries and uh, we get that quote chase of uh, Michael Myers uh, following her or pursuing her down the street um, and she gets to the door and she's like pounding on it. She's like, Tommy, open the fucking door. And Tommy takes his sweet fucking time doing it. Yeah. And this was one of the more, 
iconic moments from the original version that they don't do here where we keep cutting back and forth between Michael Myers at a distance like slowly closing in while the piano goes dun 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 he moves too quickly there's one scene where he's yeah I don't like I did not like that he's moving way too quickly uh this Michael Myers he actually kind of picks up his pace a little bit trying to go for him like no 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 you take your time you you walk slowly um but yeah she gets into the house and she takes takes kids upstairs to the bathroom they're hiding in the tub and the cops come in and these are two of the most incompetent police officers i've seen in cinema dead meat <laughs> they these guys just go into the house and one of the cops goes upstairs and is like hey it's all good and she's like did you find him she's like oh yeah there's nobody here like <laughs> they didn't even sweep the house they didn't even check he's really good at hiding dude um <laughs> And this cop just gets uh, just gets killed, uh, obviously. Uh, and I don't like even watching it. I'm like, how are they going to get out of this one? Because he just busts through the door. Uh, but does the I think the other cop clips him a couple of times, like gets him in the shoulder or something. Uh, yeah, and he, they, he shoots him in the shoulder. I love how Michael Myers just keeps walking. Mm-hmm. Like he he gives a grunt, but he just walks him down and mm-hmm. just stabs him all the way down to the floor, and then the casual nature of him getting up from that and just like coming right back to the, the bathroom yeah. <laughs> he's like hang on a minute i'll yeah. be right back hang on <laughs> i have to go I'll, kill mur- I'll be murdering you momentarily <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so i think the kids maybe get out of there and then i think he just he manages to catch Lori, and then she's not knocked out when he grabs her but she's like struggling, and then he's just walking with her. Like we don't even see him like debo her on top of the head. But he he just like <laughs> she just like faints oh into his arms, and he just yeah walks I, away I with her. If I had if I had to guess, and remember, Rob Zombie does seem to take like imagery seems to be very important to him, like more so than narrative or logic. Um, I think he just wanted a shot of a big monster dude carrying a woman draped mm-hmm. over his arms because it's so iconic from like the classic universal monsters and whatever your boris karloff's or what have you or a creature from the black lagoon um we do get a couple instances of that here but yeah she's just like out yeah like we she, she just passes out when he grabs hold of her but he, he ditches the kids and he walks off with her um you're wrong i believe brad duroff actually does shed tears in this sequence oh god damn it he, yeah he comes to his own house and he finds daniel harris again topless laying on the floor covered in fucking blood and snot again this and was as he's consoling her yeah he does i think shed a tear or two it's pretty fucking like it's a really terrible thing for a father to walk in on is yeah you're you're, you're bloody again up. The, the the driving principle behind the creativity of this film is dude that's fucked up like dude imagine if like you were the town sheriff and like you're the protector of the people and like you came in your front door and your daughter was like naked on the floor beat to shit that'd be fucked up i man. can't not hear joe rogan that's all i can hear is joe rogan oh that's so dumb. oh that's fucked god up. <laughs> it's fucked up yeah, it's, so, it's just so fucked up him just stoned being i mean that 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 really is the guiding thesis behind most of those conversations yeah is, Dude, that's so fucked up. That's so fucked up. Uh, yeah, so you'll you'll have to you'll have to jump into the driver's seat because this is where I don't have any more notes uh, because the end of this movie just kind of yeah, it's a it's a clunky chase. Yeah, uh, it it really doesn't make Glory out to be a very interesting character. Like like the the structure of the the last act of that original Halloween movie, you're rooting for Glory the whole time. Yeah, because she's she's feisty. 
she's plucky you know she she puts up a fight in her like on her own you know she doesn't need a whole lot of external elements to assist her and Mm -hmm. like you're kind of in it with her and you're rooting for her kind of in a like a chief brody sort of way Mm -hmm. um whereas this lori is just a screaming shrieking snotty mess Mm -hmm. and she's constantly being bailed out by external factors to the point that's like I don't really feel great about I don't really feel great about this. Like I don't feel like she's much of a hero, honestly. She gets like one moment where she gets to do something cool. Um but yeah, uh as it so happens, uh Michael Myers takes her back to his old stomping grounds, his old house. And I forget what room in the house this is because again, the geography is I unknown. I think <laughs> it's the basement because I think there's a headstone sure. I think there's a headstone down there and she's got he's got her dead friend linda down there and i guess wh- whose headstone is it his mom's headstone is it his sister's headstone i have to assume it's mom okay uh, it's it's the it's a myers tombstone which i believe he propped up in the bed of one of uh, laurie strode's friends uh, mm-hmm. in the original but here he's made like a shrine in the basement of his old house yeah with his mom's headstone, a jack-o'-lantern, which has a candle in it. Nice. So he took the time to, to buy candles and, li- and I, buy matches. I think he stole it <laughs> off somebody's porch. He's just like, ooh, that'd go well, too. That'll add some ambiance. Uh, oh, that's a scene I want mm-hmm. in my Halloween movie, is giant seven-foot-tall Michael Myers stealing that, a lit jack-o'-lantern from someone's porch. That's how you introduce him. That's how you introduce him into the town, is you just have him walking with a jack-o'-lantern just through, like, on the sidewalk. Oh, from the feet from the feet up. Yeah. The do-do-do-do-do. And then you see the jack-o'-lantern in the center of his torso and then all the way up to the white mask and yeah. him just, like, casually walking oh. among all the kids on the street. No, you never have the white mask. You literally just have him... You just know it's him carrying the jack-o'-lantern to someplace. Oh, maybe cut the shot before it gets above his nose or something. There you go. Like you just know from from the from the energy. It's like, oh, that's Michael. That's Michael. He just he just jacked some old Gam Gam's jack-o'-lantern. And you're just like, it's just one of those scenes where it's like, why does he have a jack-o'-lantern? Like, I don't know. And then it's like, oh, he was making his shrine. Oh, there we go. Yeah, he made a shrine. Yeah, yeah. see, better movie, better movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Linda. Her body is down there too. We previously saw her, him carrying her the same way he carried Lori. So I don't know the symbolism there if she's supposed to represent like his sister or his mom or something. Um, anyway, Michael uh, comes in while Lori is crying and pleading for her friend to wake up, who is very much dead. Uh, he kneels in front of her and he unmasks, and we can barely see Tyler Maine's face through his mop of hair. I, I guess his face is plainly visible throughout the most most of the sequel again which i haven't seen and again is very controversial a lot of people hate that movie i um, started watching it i don't know what happens in it though i'm gonna have to rewatch it though I, it may be on the docket this month we'll see we'll see how we feel when it's we gonna end it. terribly i can tell you that much the last movie is not gonna be good I, uh, I didn't quite enjoy this one. I will say I don't think it's a bad movie. It, I think it's just a personal thing. It gets so much worse moving forward. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have heard Halloween 2 by Rob Zombie is straight up terrible. Like, I, I have heard some shit. Um, but anyway, he shows her the photo that uh, he has of he and Boo, mm-hmm. baby Boo. And I did like that she doesn't fucking get it. Mm-mm. She's like, I... 
what like like it's a photo of two kids i don't know what you mean he she keeps saying like i don't know what you want he also wouldn't know like th- there's no reason that he that's, would know that's what's weird i don't really know what his motivations are either and it's very confusing because uh, because they're they're nebulous like it, his his actions don't have a lot of symmetry to them and here it's like it seems like this is him legitimately trying to form a connection like he does seem like he's innocently trying to reach out to her in some way um but she ruins it (laughs) by grabbing his knife off the ground and stabbing him like in the collarbone with it and he like just crumples for a few minutes like he just got hit with a steel chair um (laughs) and meanwhile (laughs) she uh takes off and she like tears a vent off of a, a window or something and like escapes the house and we get to see some tyler main wall smashing which he does numerous times in this film she she like tears a vent off its hinges he smashes through a whole wall to get to her um anyway they take off and uh she falls into an empty swimming pool uh and <laughs> like an idiot her. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a fucking idiot, idiot. <laughs> Uh, and he just like casually walks down the steps into the swimming pool because he knows better than to fall into it. Um, and he corners her, and Doctor Loomis shows up. And he says, "Michael, Michael, stop, stop, Michael." Um, and he he actually sincerely is pleading with him to stop. Like you can tell from the tone that he like really doesn't want to have to shoot this dude. Mm-hmm. But he shoots him like three or four times in the back. Um, and I did like that that Michael doesn't even turn around really. He just he's eyes on the prize. He's like my daughter, my sister's got to die. Mm-hmm. Like she, she she had one chance to make good. Now she's dead. Uh, but Loomis shoots him in the back like three or four times. He he collapses in a heap. Again, second chair shot of the night. <laughs> Maybe even fell off the the hell in a cell cage. Um, and Loomis drapes his jacket over Lori uh, and, and ushers her back to a cop car that I guess he stole. Um, and we get, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's not his. <laughs> no, it absolutely isn't. Um, and I think that this was the closing line of the original John Carpenter film. Was was that the Boogeyman? Yes, it was. was. Like, yes, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, psych! Uh, surprise, bitch! Uh, Michael Myers smashes the passenger window and yanks her out of it. I did like. If you listen closely, you can hear Michael McDowell. You can hear Malcolm McDowell, excuse me, saying, Whoa, Jesus! What the? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like, he sounds like he's legitimately surprised by what just happened. That's pretty cool. It sounds, it sounds off book, honestly. That's <laughs> like, Tyler cool. Maine scared the fuck out of him. Like, maybe Rob Zombie didn't tell him Tyler Maine was going to do that just then. If that's what happened, I kinda, I'm going to have to look it up now. But like, if that is what happened, I'm like, I love those little gags in movies. It's like, hey, you're going to go in there and do this? They don't know that you're going to do this. So, do we want to get a legit reaction out of people? That's always fun. I mean, erudite, like, well-spoken Malcolm McDowell saying, What the hell? <laughs> is, is, is something to behold. I do think maybe he wasn't prepared or something. I'm not in character <laughs> yet. <laughs> I mean, honestly, he didn't, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't find his center just yet. Um, anyway, Michael makes off with Lori, um, and uh, Loomis pursues him back into the Myers house, and uh, he kind of like baits Michael into switching hostages. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, oh, you've got Lori, but it's like, it's me. It's me, Michael. It's like, I'm the one who betrayed you, Michael. And uh, he's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, so he ditches Lori 
And he grabs Loomis by the head, and I, in my notes, I say uh, Loomis gets the Tyrell treatment. Mm. Uh, if you get the reference, I do. Um, yeah, uh, folks at home, Tyrell refers to Blade Runner, wherein uh, the previously mentioned uh, Rutger Hauer uh, drives his thumbs into a, an old man's eyeballs. Mm. Um, I was shocked here, actually. Um, I don't think Loomis is supposed to be dead here. I merely badly burned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going to do a tasteless joke earlier when you were talking about Mustafa uh, the, that director, you're like, I think he died in a terrorist yes. attack. I'm like, actually, Trevor, he was, uh, he was, <laughs> he fell off a cliff and broke his leg. <laughs> the wound was beginning he was to smell. He was only badly burned. <laughs> the, the wound was beginning to smell like almonds. Um, yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh. But yeah, I guess Loomis doesn't die here. In the director's cut, I I did read that um, he does like try to restrain Michael here. Like he does grab hold of his leg to try to stop him after this. So I don't know if they the way they did it in the theatrical version. I think they just kind of left the door open for like, if we can't get Malcolm McDowell back, uh, we can just write him off as dead. Um, but as far as I know, he's a big part of the sequel, so he's very much not killed by this. Um, Anyway, uh, Lori crawls through the house. She hides in a crawl space for a while, uh, and uh, she retrieves the uh, the revolver that uh, Loomis had at one point. Still has a couple of rounds left in it. And uh, Michael smashes through some more walls. Uh, there's a lot of quiet stalking that goes on here that is actually... It's boring in its choreography because it's really just a dude like walking up and down the same hallway smashing walls out of frustration. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, in a theater, I bet this would be actually be pretty intense. Um, and then uh, we get the most <laughs> the most awkward and noisy sequence in the whole movie, if you ask me, where she hides in, like, the attic or something. Or, like, in the, in the, in the uppermost portion of the house. So, like, like in the insulation uh, above the ceiling. And uh, we just get Tyler Maine wielding, like, a two-by-four and smashing holes in the ceiling for like three minutes well and nothing comes of it he's just he's just bashing holes in the ceiling because rob zombie's like yeah fucking fucking rock and roll man (laughs) i think just longer is better it's just like no no no. we have to just keep making this longer dragging this out dragging this out it's like yeah surprised us with killing loomis that's or like with at least smashing his eyeballs in like that's creative yeah but now you're just like, I was just like, come on, dude. I got shit to do. Let's let's wrap this up. I know how it ends. Well, apparently that was uh, one of the key objections to the director's cut of the film. Is that it's just needlessly longer. Mm. Because normally when you do a director's cut or an unrated cut of a, of a slasher movie or something, usually that extra runtime goes towards the violence mm-hmm. you know, or the makeup effects or something like that. No, like the Rob Zombie director's cut of this is just extraneous dialogue and just stuff nothing important and this sequence really needed a trim because it's just tyler main smashing holes in the ceiling ineffectually because he doesn't even he doesn't even get her like she falls through the ceiling on her own a few seconds later it's like he didn't have to do any of that um but yeah she falls through the ceiling on her own and she gets thoroughly fucked up by this. Like, she eats the impact all in her face because uh, her <laughs> nose is smashed. My and face really like broke my fall down. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she took this bump McFoley style. Nice. Um, and she, sure, her face is fucked up. 
Um, kudos to the makeup technicians. They did a great job making a very conventionally attractive woman look absolutely hideous here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get our finale, uh, where Michael uh, backs her into a corner, and she's like at the balcony of the house. That house, the Myers house, had a balcony. I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, the the portrayal of the Myers family in this movie. That doesn't seem like a household that would have a balcony. Uh, that seems like a household that would be on cinder blocks or something, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, she has. She still is brandishing the revolver, and uh, he drops his two-by-four and tackles her. He, he gives her the Goldberg spear off the balcony and out the window. Uh, they fall off the Hell in a Cell together. Uh, and then we snapped to black, and apparently that was like the most dangerous stunt in the whole movie, but we don't even see the full extent of it. And then uh, when we come back to the film, she is now on top of him, so he took the brunt of the impact of the fall. Good job, Mike. You could have just whacked her with that 2 by 4 Yeah, that would have done you, it. You had to get showy. You had to, you had to go off the cage with her. Um, and she like sits up on his, on his stomach and uh, tries to shoot him in the face, but the, the first pull of the trigger doesn't fire so she's like trying to find the round in the chamber but she doesn't know which cylinder it's in and she keeps pulling the trigger and then he grabs her by the wrist and it's uh it's actually rob zombie has gone on record saying this is ambiguous as to the intent where it's like it can be read however you choose to read it as either michael myers trying to stop her like trying to kill her or him allowing like helping her uh to kill him um, I don't. If I had to guess, because there is a direct sequel to this from the same director, um, when he gets shot in the face here, which is our cli- like our closing moment of the film, if I had to guess, it's a dream. Like he, she didn't actually shoot him. Uh, I'm I'm guessing. I actually haven't seen the sequel, so I don't know how we get there with Michael Myers still alive. Um, but yeah, he he grabs her by the wrist and then she pulls the trigger and blood splashes all over her face, and we get kind of like a Texas Chainsaw ending where she's screaming hysterically and we like smash smash in on her face and she's like ah, ah, ah. and then uh cut to home movie footage of baby boo and uh young michael myers together in like sepia tone and then end credits with the halloween theme playing over it again driving thesis behind the entire movie dude that's fucked up and i wish i had a joe rogan impression i don't uh, but you're absolutely right. It, that didn't occur to me. But that is the voice that should be saying that. Yeah. Where it's like the idea of it's like they were brother and sister, and like she didn't even know that they were brother and sister, and he tried to kill her, but then she killed him. Dude, no, that's fucked up. No, it is fucked up. Why don't you think it's fucked up? It is fucked up. Why, why don't you think it's fucked up? <laughs> why? Like, it's fucked up. Okay. Um, 20, 20 minutes of some guy googling why that's fucked up <laughs> to support the argument <laughs> why you're wrong that that is indeed fucked up <laughs> uh, number one um but yeah number one is that uh is that the is that the whole thing is that the whole movie is that it that's the, that's it. yeah full disclosure folks i movie. i stopped watching uh after he steals Lori because i thought i remembered it for the most part and my wife was kind of just like over the movie at that point and i was like i'll watch it later i didn't get a chance to watch the rest of it but uh um yeah you're fine yeah i was like i think i'll be okay i think we'll we'll be able to get through it but um yeah i don't see a reason to revisit this one again i think this is about it 
Uh, if I want to rewatch a Halloween movie, uh, I'm going to go John Carpenter or probably even David Gordon Green at this point. Basically, I'm going to need Jamie Lee Curtis in the movie uh, for a rewatch of Halloween. Yeah, I, I think I'm in the same boat. I, I have seen this movie at least three times at this point, and after this most recent viewing, I'm kind of feeling like I don't think I need that anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't think I get enough out of that to justify revisiting it. Like, and, and I'm not a fanatic for the franchise to the point that I'd, like, do a marathon or something. There are older entries in the series that I absolutely will go back and rewatch, especially, uh, like, 1, 2, and 4. Uh, and maybe H2O. I'll definitely go back and check those out again. But And also, uh, the girlfriend, I got her to uh, agree to watch the original. Oh, uh, nice. So we will probably be doing that sometime this month. That'll awesome. be interesting. I don't know how she'll react to that, but <laughs> we'll see. It, it's she a, might be bored out of her mind, yeah, honestly. It's a very digestible horror classic horror movie. Uh, also, 90 minutes, mm-hmm. uh, the original, that is. This one is uh, 110, which means the director's cut is probably two hours plus. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. A slasher movie should never be two hours long. Like yeah. that, you're doing it wrong, honestly. I don't even um, think The Strangers is that long. I, <laughs> yeah, and that's a very differently paced kind of... It's not even really a slasher movie. Um, but very good film. A very good horror film. Um, but yeah, this was uh, Rob Zombie's uh, Halloween uh, from the year 2007. Um, Kyle, uh, any idea what's on the docket for next week? I think next week we're going to go with uh, Lords of Salem. Uh, it's one that I've seen Ooh. and I felt was very underwhelming, but I've heard is his best movie. And I've heard people whose opinions on movies I very much respect say that it's their favorite one of his movies. Um so it's definitely one I want to get your take on. I'm kind of curious to rewatch it. Maybe I was wrong when I watched it the first time. I don't know. But I'm excited to go back. It's definitely got an app. It's There's something cozy about it that I did enjoy. That, if I could say anything about it, I'm like, there's something cozy about it. But as far as the movie is concerned, I'm like, I just remember being unimpressed by it. But I know I do want to get to that one. Okay. Well, I mean, that I'm... I'm I'm very interested uh, because I, I did not know that it is regarded as one of his best, and I have not seen it. Uh, so there's there's a lot to look forward to for me personally. Um, so I'll be excited for that. But um, in the meantime, folks at home, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other uh, Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias, on the Instagram at catchinguponcinema, as well as the Twitter at catchingcinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. Google it. And that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.